Hello and welcome to the Ramblings of a Saint podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Lou, and with me, this is the first of a very special episode because we've got three guests in the next couple of weeks. And here's the first. It is the biggest St. Ellen's fan you will ever meet. He is the uh, inglorious, is it inglorious? The glorious it's league glorious. freeze. Inglorious, not glorious. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I should have given him his full title and called him Clint Gufferson because he names himself. <laughs> I went to I went to six years of glorious school to get this title. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did you get a master's? <laughs> <laughs> nah. So uh, let's let's. I'm self censoring, man. I'm self censoring so hard. If this was our podcast, I'd be saying some terrible. <laughs> But I'm trying to be. I'm trying to. Nah, you can carry on. You can carry on. You can talk about your love of St. Helens as much as you like. St. Helens so, is my favourite suburb of Wigan, by the way. Oh, isn't it just? Is it better than Lee? The Lee Leopards? Well, anywhere's better than Lee. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, looking forward to tonight's game. Well, tonight for us, tomorrow morning for you. Yeah, I am. I guess by the time people hear this, the the game will probably be done and dusted. But um, yeah, you know, you know. I, I think it's going to be the first. I think it's going to be the first real game that Australia's played. To be honest with you, the first real test. But I'm a little bit worried about how New Zealand has been in the lead up to this semi final. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't so think they've been, yeah, I don't think they've been that impressive. So um, we'll see what happens. You know, it's a, look, I mean, we've seen New Zealand pull out a performance at World Cup, so you can never oh, tell. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, if they go on, if they go on just on form, you would think that Australia should win pretty comfortably. Definitely, they've been the bane of uh, England in a few World Cups in, in semi-finals, mm. so we know all about that. And mm. uh, I, I haven't actually seen the squad, but is Dylan Brown still in it? Because <laughs> that might be a big turning point. Well, look, that's the thing, because Dylan Brown's been playing really poorly. Awful. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that uh, I think that they should have four in in, in the side. Uh, I'm just going to bring oh, yeah, up yeah, their uh, World Cup because I haven't really paid too much attention when they've been naming their teams. Hey, so Dylan Brown is named at five eighth. Uh, Jerome Hughes at half back, and uh, looks yeah, Foran's on the bench. So um, yeah, I, I would have dropped Brown. He's just been dreadful yeah he has and i mean he's had quite a good season as well which is which is even more disappointing for me because it's like i really expected him and hughes to properly gel and that would have been a really dangerous halfback combination but mm. i don't think they can compete with cleary and monster or dce <laughs> if that uh if that argument's still going on I, look, they've they've got DC. They've named DCE on the bench. I just, I think Mal Meninga. Yeah, well, the problem that Mal Meninga had is that he he did he didn't make it really clear who his best team was going to be. And I understand why because as a coach, you want to go into the World Cup, you want to just see who wins the spot. And I just think that you know DCE didn't play badly. You know most Australian halfbacks aren't going to play badly, but the team seemed to look a little bit better with Cleary there at the halves and in, in the halfback role. And, um, yeah, I, I just don't see why he would carry DCE on the bench. Yeah, 
especially when you've got Ben Hunt, who can who's a lot more versatile in where he can play. Hell, you can put him at loose if you really wanted. Like he can play hooker, scrum half, and he was arguably what, well, in my opinion, he was the Dali M player of the year for me. I think he was absolutely phenomenal for the Dragons. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously Queensland, because Buddy Ellie carried them through through the um, through a couple of the games, and he really won that state of origin for them. And I feel like he's sort of been a bit harshly treated by being dropped yeah. for yeah. obviously the semi because he's a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, it's uh, look that when I look at the benches of both of these teams, like they're. It's weird because going into the World Cup, I would have been looking for a, a bigger team on the field just for the English conditions. You know, you want to be able to put a lot of big bodies out there. Um, it's not the sort of conditions that is going to uh, favour a lot of quick football, you know. Um, and both of these teams, they've named like a couple of basically halves on their bench. You've got Harry Grant, who obviously is a, is a yeah. hooker, but he's not a big dude. And then you've got DCE. And then you've got Britton Nakora and uh, Kieran Foran on the other side of the, the ledger for the Kiwis on the bench. I, it's just a bit weird to me. I don't understand. I feel like it's half measures. And I don't think you can play half measures at international footy level, you know? Uh, yeah, I also think that both coaches have underestimated the English weather today with them teams. Because for me, it's, well, it's lobbing it down. <laughs> I don't know what it's like in Leeds, but, I mean, that ball's going to be slippery and probably going out with too many arms and too much of a overthinking strategy with sort of creativity. I mean, yeah. games like this are, are built for get it up the middle. It's basically built for four drives and, and a kick rugby sort of situation. You don't want to be throwing it about in this weather. Yeah, that's true. And and like, I mean, I think that's one of the big keys for Australia in the size of their, their centres. You know, they can get in and do a lot of that sort of work and they're not going to, you know, these players can overpower you just with their size um, in White and in, in Mitchell. So uh, I, that's the sort of team I thought we would look to name going into the World Cup. But I don't know, like, it's hard to argue with the results that they've been getting, but I just worry that when you do these sorts of half measures leading into the big games that eventually get found out by a team that is really honed and that has worked out who they are um, and who their best lineup is and, and what the best team is for the conditions that they're playing in. Yeah, especially. And um, I think Campbell Graham's a bit unlucky to be missing out. I mean, he is a specialist centre after all for Jack Whiten. Or do you think... I, deserves to be there because I think the thing about Whiten is he's got he's got a little bit more big game experience and True. you know he's got the job done in in some pretty big games. Um, Campbell Graham has played really well, but you know he's done it in games where I think everyone should have played really well, and for the most part they did. You know, um, it, you know just being there or thereabouts is great for uh, Campbell Graham, but you know, somebody's going to miss out. There's like, yeah, true. there's not many of the Australian players that won't be playing in the next two games that are poor players. Yeah, definitely. And I think, to be fair, I don't think there is one single player in that Australia squad that can be called a poor player. 
<laughs> I just think they are a absolute formidable outfit. Yeah, they they're pretty good. There's a, there's a few, Yeah, there's a few players there that uh you know, they they're probably the best in the world at their position. Um and uh it's going to be hard to beat them. Look, any team that beats Australia, Australia if they do, they deserve it because um it's played a good Australian team. Yeah, but I mean, I think Australia have always been that sort of pinnacle of the sport in world for rugby league i mean that's why it was obviously a few years ago when tonga and christian wolfside beat them that's why it was such a shock because it was like wow like this side's come from nothing to being an absolute explosion Mm. on the world stage and now obviously they're out which i'd have loved for england to play tonga tomorrow because Mm. i think that would have been a real clash of the titans and i do think Although Samoa beat Tonga last last week, I do think that Tonga would have been a much tougher opposition for ourselves tomorrow, going into you know Saturday's game. So, yeah. I think yeah. I think that uh, I tell you what, the Samoan backs are playing pretty well. Yeah. The thing that worries me about is the Samoan forwards. Um, they just look. They look like they're in off-season mode. They look like they're carrying a few extra kgs. I thought the same thing oh, about yeah, Tom, yeah. and uh, that worries me because you know, for for everything that I've said about England in the past, they have ticked every box in this World Cup. They've oh, done everything you could yeah. have hoped for them to do. They've, you know, when they've had an opponent that I thought that Samoa was going to smash them in that first game, they smashed Samoa, absolutely annihilated them. And they won every single game by the margin they should have won it by. So you can't take anything away from this England team. They're going to be hard to beat. But um, that you know the Samoan team is a very very good team. But I just look at their forwards and I I just think there's a lot of guys there that um, they're in off season mode unfortunately. And I think that that's going to hurt them. But their outside backs and their backs and stuff are phenomenal. You know there's so many great players in the side. So we'll see. That's the thing that I love about footy is that we don't know. Like, we're finally at a point in the World Cup where you don't know what's going to happen. And that's all you want. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's been one of the major problems with the structure of this current World Cup is it's like you kind of knew the result before the game, before a ball was even kicked. And Mm. I feel like now we're at a point where it's becoming a lot harder to predict. Like, Last week, the PNG game that um, I actually went to, it was horrific conditions. And I mean, it was lobbing it down. Mm. And before the game, like in the morning, I was saying like, oh, you know, PNG will give us a, give us a really good game because they are an outfit that never gives up. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if the weather conditions came in or whether England really were that good because it, it just seemed to me like, we just handled the conditions a lot better rather than just out and out um out and out played them if you kind of get yeah. that yeah yeah so. look i i had that game on uh in the background i was actually playing full out 76 <laughs> while it was on <laughs> so and i thought i'll chuck this game on and if if it looks like it's going somewhere i'll, I'll start watching it properly and all, all of a sudden it was like a point a minute and i was like man this yeah. is really from png um 
I think sometimes people underestimate what it's like to be playing in conditions that are very foreign to you and in a different part of the world. It does take a toll. Um, I think, you know, we expect professional outfits like, say, Australia or even, even England or New Zealand, they really shouldn't have those issues. They should be all right in most conditions. But I think it quickly changes as you go down the list of, of nations at the top of the game where, it, like, I think if you take, and we saw this when Great Britain last played in PNG, like when you're playing in really high humidity, high heat conditions, um, it took it out of yeah. the, that Great Britain team. And yeah, I think sometimes that's underestimated by people that watch the game. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think even like like we were saying with the Australia-New Zealand game today, it's like sometimes coaches can underestimate it and sometimes even like, you know, even players can underestimate just how how tough it can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, we we were, the wind as well last week was unbelievable. Um, not last week, was, uh, yeah, yeah, last week was unbelievable as well with the rain. And it's like everything just sort of came into England's favour. It was like you could tell from sort of the onset that like PNG just didn't know how to cope. Mm-hmm. And it was I, obviously the, the the quality of players as well um, counts a lot mm-hmm. on the scoreboard as we've seen, but definitely the weather conditions favoured us massively, which which I hope doesn't hinder tonight's game as well. Well, and the the thing about that performance that England put on too is like it, with all of those things that you can say, well, that probably favoured them, that probably favoured them. They went out and annihilated PNG. You know, it wasn't like you could say, well, and that's probably what got them the win. I mean, we they saw off the second half. Yeah, that exactly. Like they 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 you know they went back into second gear for that second forty minutes and they just cruised. Um, so, it, like, that's the impressive thing that I've thought about this England team is that they have done everything you could possibly ask of them in this whole tournament. Um, and I, I've been really impressed by that. Uh, I bet a lot of our English viewers will be, uh, listeners will be very happy about hearing that. <laughs> yeah, they probably will. Look, people think that I hate England and I don't. I just treat them like everyone else. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They played good footy, I say. They played some really good footy, and they have. They've played really good football. Yeah, so while we're on the topic of England, let's go on to tomorrow's game with Samoa. And obviously, it'll be a lot different to that very first game, because that first mm-hmm. game was... It, it, honestly, I was sat there watching it on the telly, and I couldn't believe what was happening. Mm. It was it was like it was like it wasn't real. Yeah. It's it's and probably. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> it was. It's one of the most shocking performances I've ever seen at international level. I think that, um, you know, that one stands out. It, it Samoa just didn't turn up to play at all. They were hopeless, and I think it's probably that one. And there was a game where Australia, and I, I can't remember, but it was a. It was like a. It might have been a three nations final or something like that in the late noughties where Australia didn't turn up to play against um, New Zealand. I think they lost like 24-0 or something. Oh, and it's the only yeah. game I've ever seen Australia just 
not turn up. Every other game I've seen, they've turned up, and you kind of to beat them, you got to. It, it turns into some sort of war where you you're kicking and screaming and scratching your way to a victory, and yeah. so that was really shocking to see them just get smacked. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that first time yeah. game was horrible. Yeah, it was kind of talking about like the the scrappiness. It was sort of like I don't know if you watched the Australian women's game last night. That no, was very out of character. It was very out of character for the Aussie women. I think they only completed about was it forty percent of the sets in like the first really? half. They had like nine uncomplete sets out of like sixteen completed sets. It was like it was like un unprecedented. And I feel like we'll we'll be seeing a lot of that tonight with this weather. But uh, especially like uh, it was out of character for them and that first 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 round fixture with Samoa was so out of character, and I really hope that they they turn up with a lot of ambition tomorrow because I want I want to watch a really good game and it has the potential to be a good game. Mm-hmm. But well, I think for sixty minutes, I think England's stamina will have too much in the end because I, that, like yeah. you said, that Samoa outfit just don't look fit. No, they don't. It's it's shocking and. Um... You know, that it's players that you don't think about their fitness during the season and you're watching them and, and they're just carrying, you know, too many kilos. Um, and, it, you know, it makes you think about, like, the mindset going into a World Cup and the different ways that teams handle the situation because it is a lot of these guys, it's, it's their off-season, but you've got to keep them switched on. And they've been switched on in some of them since like November last year when they started their pre-season training. It's a difficult thing to do. Um, and, and I can understand a player, you know, just letting things slip a little bit with either their training or their diet or whatever it is. And it doesn't take much to lose your edge, your physical edge in a, a sport like rugby league. And, you know, I think that that's the difference between the, the people that can really do well as an international coach versus the ones that kind of just sort of get dragged along by their team. The good yeah, coaches, yeah, and teams, yeah. they, they make sure their teams are ready to rock and roll no matter what time of the year it is, you know? Do you think a lot of it is also coming down to, like, like obviously a lot of the English sides, obviously as much as our game's different, they play for quite a high standard, like like your Wiggins and your St. Ellens and obviously Herbie Farmworth with Brisbane and that. Like They play for quite a high standard of club who demand a high stamina level, just like at Penrith Panthers do and, and a lot of and Melbourne Storm and that. And a lot of Australia's side play for them bigger clubs that have that higher standard. Do you think a lot of the Samoan teams that aren't at that standard sort of... I- do you Look, I feel I, like the stamina levels might might be a bit off at the clubs they're at, which then hinders the international game. Or I personally wouldn't think so, just because I think at this point, you know, an elite player is going to be they're going to be able to do things above and beyond what your normal club player can yeah, do. Yeah, in. Yeah. Um, and there's some like there's some really good players at this World Cup who you don't think about their fitness or their you know, being physically prepared for a game and, and you've seen them and um yeah. like for feeder for, for Tonga. Like I I was shocked yeah. when I saw him in the first game. I was like, this guy is 
is in full off season mode, you know. And I think what you find is, hey, he's been like that all year. Yeah, he's been like that (laughs) since he left the Broncos. But uh, (laughs) but it's just look, some players they don't know what levels they've got to hit. Some some players are. that, that, that some players haven't been part of a, a, a World Cup, you know. Some yeah, players haven't been true. part of an extended test period of football where you've got to be ready to play week in, week out in November. So The last proper test we had was, what, 2019? As in, like, where we had an actual fixture calendar? A calendar, so like, yeah. So you've got, like, three years there where it's just been, right, club level, pre-season club level pre-season mm-hmm. they haven't had that demand put on them and especially this Samoa outfit which is still relatively new I mean yeah. how many of this Samoa team actually played at the last World Cup a handful yeah there wouldn't be, wouldn't be heaps of them yeah and I, I think the other thing is too that you know that disruption that we had because of COVID like I think the yeah. disruption we had because of COVID has had a toll on the State of Origin series you know, I think that it it's we had that one state of origin series that was played at the end of the year and that felt weird. Yeah, it was, it was I, like over two weeks, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really Something quick. Like yeah. And and I think that state of origin it it still feels some sort of hangover effect from just having a disruption to its schedule. And that's three games in the middle of the year, you know? For these yeah. test players, I think getting back into swing of things and 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 getting the camps going again and and working out what works and what doesn't work and then you've got the new players that have never experienced any of it before and there'll be plenty of players that have never gone to england before um and yeah there's all sorts of things they're they're getting used to but a lot of players that haven't even been out of australia before a lot of the younger players with the covid restrictions and everything yeah they could be yeah so you, you don't really know how how that sort of affecting them and i feel like tomorrow's game will be a big a big test for samoa because they'll be out out for revenge mm-hmm. so to speak and um this english outfit has got to be they've got to produce what they have done all tournament and that is to stick to the game plan that sean wayne sort of had and i think i think sean wayne as a coach has has really he's appeased a lot of english fans that were Annoyed with Wayne Bennett for some reason, um, yeah. And I feel like I feel like he's, although his team selections have been very controversial over here, especially his squad selection, the ones that he has picked, like your Mike Coopers, your Chris Hills, who everyone wrote off, have really proved themselves to be quite worthwhile in this tournament, which has mm-hmm. shocked a lot of people over here because they had two average seasons I mean Mike Cooper had one of the worst seasons I've ever seen from prop forward and he made the England squad and everyone was like why have you put him in and he's he's been phenomenal his offload game's been superb for us coming off the bench and then you obviously add in the likes of um, obviously he wouldn't have been there if say Alex Worms he hadn't broke his leg I don't think um, so like, like there's a lot of there's a lot of English fans that are now very happy at the minute, and I hope it's not now a false sense of security. I really hope that we finish the job. From, yeah, from I, it, 
it's going to be interesting to find out because the the problem I see for England is they haven't really been tested, and you you wonder whether that's because they've been so much better than everyone else they've played, or have they had just one of those runs, and it happens sometimes where your opposition's just not quite there, and the the worry that you have in that situation is that England runs through everyone, gets into the final. Exactly, and, and plays Australia, say. Yeah, and then they get buzzsawed. And we've seen that in all sorts of sports, you know, where yeah. the, the biggest... Was it the Four the Nations one, a few years ago where didn't you get, like, beat 42-something in the final? Yeah, there was there was one. I remember there was one game where I think it was still Great Britain where we got them in the final and it was, like, it, it was a, almost a point a minute in the first half. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. And then they didn't they didn't do much in the second half Australia, but um, you know the biggest buzz saw situation like that I've ever seen before is actually in the NBA, and it was the 90, 94, 95 season where you had a, a Rockets team that was the sixth seed, and they they had the hardest run of any NBA champion ever. They had all of these sixty-win uh, teams they had to go through, yeah. and they they had these wars. They had like three wars of a series, and then they get to the NBA Finals against a very very good Orlando Magic team, uh, led by Penny Hardaway and Shaquille O'Neal. But by then they were so just, they were so battle hardened. They won four nil. You know they won the series four zero, and. It was just a case of this team that had just was battle hardened, you know, coming yeah, up against yeah. a very good team. Yeah. But they just didn't have that edge because Houston had been through the wars. And that's what you worry about England coming into a final. If they make it, yeah, um, yeah. That they would make the final. And then all of a sudden they come up against an Australian team or a New Zealand team because yeah, I don't know. That just, just is just. You know, they've been eating raw meat for the last week. Yeah, I'd, I'd have much preferred to have played Samoa week three, mm-hmm. round three of the uh, of the World Cup, because they mm-hmm. seem to have grown in. Obviously, like, they played us, they had two training sessions. They had mm-hmm. Matt Parrish <laughs> leading the way. And then, um, and then, yeah, and then I'd, I'd have much preferred them in week three. But you never know, it might have been the, might have been the Brian McDermott effect. Hiring, hiring him as a coach. Well, I, thought was, I thought Brian McDermott was working with uh, Fiji, wasn't he? Oh, was it Fiji? Feel was like it was, I feel like it was Fiji. I'm sure I saw him in the Fiji coaching box last week. Oh, that might week. have been Fiji. But, uh, the, I think the Fijian coach got, un, he was unwell early in the World Cup. And yeah, they needed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew there was a nation. I thought it was Samoa, but it wasn't. Was it? Oh no, they sent Willie Poaching away, didn't they? Yeah. And then there was all that drama. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, they they turned it around at least. So. You hope so. Look, they got to win over Tonga. That's not it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, you see a lot of that though in the playoffs, where especially in the NRL, where like you'll see a team be like on the hard end of the draw and like. Mm-hmm they'll sort of make the way up and win a couple of rounds and then suddenly they build that momentum mm-hmm. and like um and then some well the odd occasion they'll win it um and like you, you you sometimes see teams that have been phenomenal 
and then they earn that week off and then they sort of don't have that momentum and it sort of hinders the team. So I feel like a, a bit of a hardened run would have been better for England than having Samoa week three rather than week one. Yeah. So that, that, it'll be an interesting game, that's, that is for sure. Yeah, and how cool will it be to see an actual interesting game finally at the World Cup? Ah, oh, I mean, should we go into that? Should we go into the blowouts? And I'm ready to talk about anything you want to talk about. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, how how have you felt the rest of the World Cup's gone? <laughs> well, I, look, I'm somebody that has watched international games filmed on a literal phone uh, and and streamed on YouTube. Right, so I like I've I've watched I think me and Andrew watched I'm trying to think who it was it's like Spain and another nation it might have been Germany or someone where the game went for like about 130 minutes and we were like watching our clock saying like they've they've stuffed up the timing you know so I've we've we have watched crazy games it's not that we don't like international footy um. But watching some of these games in the World Cup has been really difficult to do, you know, yeah. and and getting, you know, back-to-back blowout after blowout after blowout. I think there's been maybe four games that have been, you know, close-ish to very, very good, um, but most of them have been blowout score lines, and I just don't think it's good to, you know, if we're thinking that this is the showcase event for International Rugby League, it's not the sort of showcase you want to put on. You want something that's a yeah. little bit more exciting than than uh, what we've put on. And and I think a lot of it has to do with the draw. I think we've got a tournament that is set up like the Soccer World Cup, and we yeah. haven't got the depth of, of soccer. And so I think that we need to look at something else. And, you know, I've been leaning towards just having one big knockout competition where at least every game then you look at it and you say, well, you know, you win, you go on, you're out, and you're out for good. Um, and, you know, the teams that get smashed by 60, then, you know, you might not have to watch them play again. Yeah. Um, because the World Cup isn't where we develop rugby league, international rugby no, league. They think this should be the pinnacle of it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I've seen a lot of people justifying and, and defending a lot of the the things at the World Cup that haven't been very good. And I just don't think that the World Cup is where we should be making excuses for, for you know, poor tournament organisation, poor setup of the competition format itself, and poor performances by some international teams. And, look, some of them, they've done their very best even when they've been smashed. Yeah, but I yeah. don't think we should put those teams in a position where that happens to them. I mean, they, they had it a few years ago with the Emerging uh, emerging Nations World Cup, mm-hmm. didn't they? And, and I feel like maybe they should sort of run alongside, have the World Cup and the Emerging World Cup and sort of split them into two and have like a 16-team Emerging Nations Cup and then like an 8- or 12-team World Cup that's sort of a bit, it's a bit less... It's a bit more condensed, or if they yeah. are going to stick with this sort of 16-team setup, they need to produce something like a seeded comp, where like you have the first group with the semi-finalists from this year, and they all play each other. They all go through, and then your positions are your sort of seed, if you like, 
and then your second group are like the quarterfinalists or whoever qualifies that are the highest ranked teams. Because what like they've got that world ranking system, which is the most flawed system I think I've ever come across yeah. in the world. I mean, Australia are fourth in the world. It's just like if you're going to have a world rankings, do it properly. And then mm. if you're going to have a World Cup, divide, like have your qualifiers that are a lot more, a lot better structured that can actually be helping the tournament. I mean, as much as Greece is a wonderful story, are they at that point where they should be at the World Cup yet? Because people point to the, the, obviously, we football World Cup and talk about nations like San Marino that get through and other nations that just get walloped. But, like, that's always, like, one or two games. It's not Mm -hmm. every game of the group stage. And I feel like this World Cup has sort of shown that, you know... I mean, in England, we've got, what, 13 professional clubs? Like, full-time professional clubs. Mm-hmm. So, and I think in Australia, you've got the NRL plus, like, the odd players in, like, Queensland Cup and New South Wales that will be on, like, full-time deals. But yeah. th- there's not enough player pool for it to be a competitive competition. So I feel like they need to split and go back to the Emerging Nations World Cup and have have them sort of playing against each other to improve. As well. Yeah, look, if, if we'd have had a World Cup, and, and look, I, I'm somebody that I've been saying we need more uh, teams from different parts of the world involved. If we're going to see teams getting yeah. smashed, they, you know, let's put in te- a team from Asia, a team from South America and a team from Africa, because, yeah, they're going to get smashed. But at least we're including giant portions of the human population that they've got direct qualification to the World Cup. Oh, um, well, they don't play rugby league. Oh, man, don't even start me on that. It's, it was great. They don't play it. <laughs> they don't, they don't play the sport. The Philippines Look, don't have a team. I must be the only person on, on on planet Earth that can say, I think we should allow more, more than half the human population to have direct uh, qualifications to the Rugby League World Cup and then be told in this, like, oh, it just shows you don't like international rugby league. It's like, what am I supposed to say that would make people happy? It's the weirdest thing ever. But, look, if we had a World Cup that was, you know, Australia, England, New Zealand, Tonga, Samoa, PNG, uh, Fiji, I think is, is, you know, a pretty good team. If we had just those seven teams involved, and France, let's say eight, France. Because yeah. I think France should always be involved in every World Cup ever. I think they should be given a free pass. Yeah, um, what they've what they've gone through in the past and everything else. Yeah, exactly. So if if I'm you had those eight, if you had those eight teams involved, and you had two groups of four, and you had them play a bunch of games against one another, we would have had some pretty damn good games of rugby league to yeah. watch every single week. And it uh, would have been broadcast around mm-hmm. Britain on free to air TV. Without the neutral fan going, what's this sport? England winning yeah. 94 4 <laughs> against Greece. And it's like, oh, well, you know, another try, another try. Like, uh, yeah, Pe- like neutral fans will want more competitive games and they would just want to see tries. Like, on my Twitter, I've been having 
I've been having loads of people saying, well, 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 the, the best thing about rugby league is tries, so these blowouts are the best thing ever. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> no, it's not. The <laughs> whole point about a sport is to be competitive. It's great yeah, showing it off, you know, it's great showing off all that stuff, but you need the competitiveness as well. It's it's weird to see some of the justifications that we've seen for all, all sorts of stuff, the, the poor crowds. Um, and I understand, look, I'm I'm the first to say I understand the tickets are too expensive, that there's been a lot of shenanigans going on around the ticketings at the games and 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 the price of I know the price of living over there has gone up considerably higher than it has for um, yeah. the most of our list or for going the freak listeners who uh, in Australia and New Zealand, where it has gone up, but not quite anywhere near as much as it has over there. So I, I'm not blaming English fans at all. Um, but the, the all sorts of things that I've, I mean, even the squad number fiasco, where you know the World Cup <laughs> organisers, well, yeah. it's marketable. Everyone knows. Well, the, everyone knows Kai Pace Paul's number twenty-four for England. Everyone knows. Everyone knows that. That's the thing. It's like the, it's they. Loads they of shirts. They carried on about, oh, it's about marketing and stuff. And then you hear that you can really only buy uh, England shirts when you're at the games. It's like, what what happened to all the marketing? Mate, everything about this World Cup has been horrifically organised when it comes to the fans. Um, I'm not on about, like, you know, the inclusivity and, you know, the four World Cup tournaments. They're great. They've gone on together. But the actual fans have been so screwed over, um, mainly because... We've been milked so much over the years, and mm-hmm. like we've literally been bled dry. Like I know people who've gone to like thirteen, fourteen games. So like, and then like you you've got merchandise stalls that you can't even buy nations of. So like in the twenty thirteen World Cup and the Four Nations series was it twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen? When they were over here, they had the merchandise trucks outside selling Australia shirts, New Zealand shirts, Fiji shirts. Any any nation that was playing there, you could buy them. And you cannot get them in England. Um, I don't know whether that's a merchandise thing, as in like the, the suppliers not wanting to ship over. I don't know whether it's the RFL in general, uh, the International Rugby League in general. I, I really don't know, but... Like, I've been clamouring to try buy a Cook Island shirt, a Greece shirt. You can't find them anywhere. You can only have English shirts. The ticket pricing has been absurd. Um, You've got areas of the ground that you can't buy the cheapest tickets for two, three days before because the market amount is sold out when they're not. Mm -hmm. I then went to the the game at Wigan at the weekend and they announced a record attendance of 23,000. I've been saying some Wigan games where there's been more people there and it's been a less attendance. So I don't know why they're lying about this. I don't, yeah. I don't know what the I don't know what they're getting from um feeding fans false information. I really don't because it's obvious of what they're doing. I actually saw there was a because the organisers put out a, a press statement this week saying that this is the most watched World Cup in terms of TV um, viewing figures. And one of well, the... They didn't announce the bloody viewing figures. That's the thing. 
that one of the journos asked for the figures and they wouldn't give them to him. Um, yeah. So I just look at. Was that John I, Davidson, I think? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, and I retweeted it, and I I've seen enough World Cups and seen the aftermath of those World Cups enough times to know that when it comes to the things that the Rugby League World Cup organisers say, and they, they, there's been different organising um, committees, let's just say. I I think if you err on the side of they're lying to you, you're going to be right more times than not. Oh, 100%, especially with Rugby League. I mean, mm. being it. I mean, even Australia have it with Peter Volandis and all his bollocks that he chats. But, like, we, we've had it for the past, well, all my life at least, <laughs> with the Nigel Wood, with Ralph Rimmer, who, thank God, has left. But it's like, I, I just feel like they just they get a kick from it. They must do, because they, they believe their own bullshit. I, I think a lot of it's to do with uh, job pres- preservation. Oh, yeah. But that's the worst thing uh, about it. Yeah. And, and it's, look, it's, it, it gets me fired up and it makes me really angry. And, oh, and so annoyed. But I, I've just seen enough of it where at some point you just throw your hands in the air and say, look, this is something that's going to be part of the game. And, you know, the game has to sort of work its way past. Um, some of the people that run it but when you when you look at this world cup i mean even the the one in australia because i've seen people when i've pointed out some of the poor things about this world cup and they say well what about the one in australia and blah 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 blah. it's like yeah that wasn't really well. Well. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah it wasn't very well put together that one either so it's it's not that it's about where the the games are being played it's just we tend to have World Cups that are really poorly put together. I think the best World Cup or the most enjoyable one I've seen overall is probably 2008, where I, I feel as though in Australia they played games in, in the right places and they really embraced local um, expats and, and, yeah, and things yeah. like that. And it seemed to draw people into the World Cup it, to be part of their their national teams whether those national teams were really representative or not that's another you know thing to talk about but yeah. it got people involved in it and I, I feel as though the ones we've had since then haven't done a very good job of that um and i think a lot of it has had to do with the fact that you know the the last world cup we played in australia i've talked about this i was ready to go to as many games yeah, as possible, yeah. and they were put on in so many different places around, I just couldn't afford to do it. You know, I have had arguments on Twitter too with like people who don't realise how big of a country Australia is. They yeah. mustn't do because they keep chatting rubbish about, oh, well, there was so many crowds at, at Darwin in, um, what's it called? Up at, was it, uh, yeah, Darwin, isn't it? Up, yeah. Up in Bidi- yeah up in the Northern Territory. And it's like, yeah, but, yeah, but you're asking, you're asking buddy fans from basically, let, let's say Sydney, Brisbane, you're asking fans from Sydney, which is like, say, the heartlands of rugby league over in Australia to us. So it's like us flying from Manchester to Egypt. Mm, yeah. For the game of rugby league. Are you going to go do that? No. 
<laughs> so just you won't even travel to bloody Leeds. So stop chatting rubbish. Yeah, that's the thing. It's uh, look on. That's one of the weird things about living in Australia. Like um, there are places that I will never ever go because they're just so far away. I mean, like Perth is a different part of the planet to where I am in Sydney. You know, it's oh, difference in it. <laughs> Well. Yeah, yeah, it's diff- different times. It's like three exactly. times. Um, I'm closer to Auckland than I am to Perth. Yeah. So it's, you know, and, and Darwin is the same. Like Darwin is, you know, Darwin Darwin's closer to most of Asia than it is to me right now. Yeah. So it, it's, it's cool to live somewhere where the distances are like that, but it does make it hard to get around. And, you know, um, like even look, Brisbane's a long way from here. <laughs> Townsville, I mean, Townsville still, is like yeah, in a different part of the planet to me. Townsville's so, in a different part of the planet to everywhere in Australia. To be fair, <laughs> it's, it's stuck in it's stuck in the nineteen seventies, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's just mental, and I find. Like, I use English fans because even though I am an English fan, I'm not the stereotypical English fan that we that we know and love where they think everything should stay the same and it'll just get better and it'll it'll yeah. mend. I mean, yeah. we've had it in England for how long now where the game's constantly failing? And then I think we had a period, I think around 2007, where, they, where obviously Catalan got introduced and it was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is now like there's a bit of excitement. We had London Broncos in and then it was like, and the magic weekend was just sort of fully getting getting momentum built and then it was like oh we're gonna go to licensing and i really felt like even me as a kid i felt like it was the right way to go because mm. um i it's, uh, uh, promotion relegation isn't sustainable and i felt like in england especially like um we were finally gonna have that security to build the player development build the game and then we didn't get we didn't even give it enough chance. I think we gave it three, four years, four seasons, which, like, for it to be sustainable and to see the rewards like the NRL have, um, like a lot of the divisions, like, you need to give it 15, 20, 30 years' time to develop and grow. And, well, you guys properly did it when, when obviously, the Super League Wars ended and you all merged and you built this sort of business plan and projection that it was like right in 20 years time we're going to be this at this point and then you, you've just constantly gone on from there whereas England has just gone oh we'll try two years of this oh yeah it's not working we'll we'll scrap it and it's like and then they came up with the stupid super eight formula and it's like we we've constantly been involved with administrators that don't that don't know how to actually run anything and I feel like I feel like the International Rugby League is a lot of them people making them same decisions that don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> it does feel that way, doesn't it? And uh, it, it's it's disheartening as a fan, you know. I mean, I, if I had my way, rugby league would be the you know the most watched, most played sport throughout the UK and all of Europe. Like that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. So. Um, and so to see it going through so many, so many tough times, and it, it seems like the tough times have gone through are 
very quickly, like time after time after time, and yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's, like, it's like, come on. oh, it's it's like you talk about the licensing thing, which they really didn't. I mean, they they were trying to find stability, and ironically, just ended it so quickly that there was no oh. stability about it. And if you think about like the Penrith Panthers come into the top grade over here in 1967, and they were their results were absolutely putrid for just about two decades, like about as bad as you could get where it would have been really, really easy to justify kicking them out of the competition. And no one ever did. No one ever even brought it up. And then things just sort of come together in the eighties, like the early to mid eighties. And we started producing juniors and, and the area developed and, and things like that, where, you know, now you look down the track and it's, it's ridiculous what's been going on. I mean, even if you look at it as they want a, a comp in the nineties and the noughties, and then like, you know, in, in, you know, about 10 years later after that, it's, yeah, it's, you've got to build something. You've got to actually build it and work on it and sustain it. And I, I always used to push for sustainability, financial sustainability and, in Super League, and I was doing that a long time ago, you know, and uh, I remember talking about that before Bradford went bust, and then when Bradford went bust, it should have been the canary in the coal mine for English Rugby League, where everyone said, look, this team that just won everything and did everything you could possibly want to be successful just went broke overnight and disappeared. So something's wrong here with our system. And nobody really sat down and and saw it for what it was. Now I think that I think that Super League just organically got to a point where they couldn't. It, it's not sustainable, but they just couldn't spend too much more money than they were losing, you know. And I think that that saved them from having a situation that we've seen in English rugby union, where it, somehow the teams collectively owe creditors like. 500 oh, million pounds which is out it's how is that possible that's in, I, that's crazy i just don't know and like when you see the figures as as much as it's like for me i find it quite funny in a way because rugby union constantly looks down at rugby league and and has really suffocated rugby league a lot in england and you see it mm-hmm. a lot in new zealand as well especially um, and seeing all this turmoil and like none of the major newspapers actually put how bad it is and all the clubs are like playing it down going oh no no it's fine and then like overnight we had three clubs go right we really can't we really can't sustain this like we're, we're done we're in administration and it's like well why are you lying why are you lying just just tell the truth of what what sort of carnage you've ensued and we will uh we'll see it but r- rugby league's going down a lot a lot of the same avenues i mean um you only look at the figures that super league revealed earlier this year and they went oh we made 1.1 million pound profit over the last um 12 months just over a million pound profit and it was like you looked down the actual incomings and it was like uh, three hundred and seventy-five thousand for the sale of the head office, mm-hmm. and uh, a nine hundred thousand pound loan. 
and I was like, that's not really profit, pal. Yeah. That, that yeah. that's got to be paid back next year and the year after. <laughs> so really, we ran at what three hundred, four hundred thousand pound loss. Like, that's not sustainable. No, it's not. And that's you know the the problem is to get sustainability in English rugby league. I think you would have to go back. You would either have to cut the like current salary cap in half in Super League, which is dramatic, and it, no one wants to. No one wants to see that. I don't want to see that. But at some point, you've just got to make it all sustainable. Now, you, are you going to lose players? Yeah, you probably will. But I don't think you're going to lose anybody that's going to be that is going to have a crippling effect on the English rugby league game. Uh, you know, if they're going to if they're going to go to rugby union, good luck because they haven't got any money at the moment either. Yeah. Um, are they going to go to Australia? Yeah, you might see a bunch of players go to Australia, but I think that the 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 way that Super League is, and it's one of the big strengths of it, is that um, people that enjoy Super League they they don't tune in to watch the best players in the world. They tune in to watch their local club, and yeah. they go to games religiously and. Yeah, it very it really really is way way more tribal than it is in Australia, um, and I think that that's a real strength, and that is something that they could survive upon. It's also, but it's also a a problem as well though, because you've got a lot of them fans and clubs that really suffocate the league, as in like don't want to develop, don't want to improve. We've seen that under the under the. Um, licensing system when they brought out this criteria in I think 2006 and went look in a few years you're going to have to do all this that was get new stadiums do this that and the other and you Saints did um, we found funding exterior funding and then you had the likes of Witness they were in the mix of doing it you had the likes of Lee um, Warrington obviously did it a few years previous but they got you know and um and then you've got teams like Castleford. I don't know if you've been seeing Vossi's uh, stuff on Twitter, but you've got likes of Castleford that's still a shed. Wakefield, that is honestly the worst ground I've ever been to in my life. But luckily, they've, they're they finally doing something about it. One I, remember being, I, I remember being driven past Wakefield's ground and somebody was like, there's Wakefield's ground. And I was like, what do you mean? That's all I can see is like a fence. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I was like, oh, wow, that's incredible. I tell you, the ground that really I was most impressed by was the Dewsbury Rams ground, driving past that. Yeah. It's a nice, nice little ground, that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Bradford shared the when they went bust, didn't they? I think they yeah, did they did. There, and then they did a year at Keefley, I think, as well. Yeah. And yeah, but it's like a lot of the Yorkshire clubs just. That, well, Yorkshire people are famous for not wanting to spend money, and I feel like that's that's happened especially. I mean, the last time we had the licensing thing as well, we had Sky paying everyone's salary cap at the time, so it was like every club could pay the wages. But what you had was a lot of the Yorkshire clubs not spending the full salary cap and keeping like half of the cap to put on the books. So you had a lot of the, the development factor that sal- that the licensing thing should really give you and the sort of thing of, right, you've got to, 
you've got to build up and build your team to be competitive to make the league better. A lot of the clubs didn't do that. They just pocketed the money. So yeah. you still saw the same teams at the bottom of the ladder and the same teams at the top of the ladder. So it was a real big sort of problem. And I think IMG's new plans that they've put out, they're looking at introducing a minimum spend on the salary cap, which now at this point in time, it's going to be hard to fulfil because then teams aren't getting the full salary cap paid for by Sky. I think they're only getting, with the new TV deal, I think they're only getting half of it or just over half of it. So all that lies on is like your teams like Saints, Wigan, Leeds who and Warrington who have all got big rich owners that can happily subsidise, you know, the teams. Mm. Um, like all you've got is them then that can continue doing that. So it's, it's a good idea, but I, I don't think it's the right time to introduce it to its full potential so you could introduce it at say whatever sky cover up to whatever the tv deals cover up to and then move on from there but i mean super league was made to improve rugby league around europe it was called the european super league and yet you look at rugby league in europe and there you go yeah (laughs) is that a failure on, on the super league because in my opinion it is I think it is too, and it's um. Look, I think that some really serious questions have to be asked about, like, what is Super League giving to its broadcasting partners? Because currently, there's a lot of money spent on Super League squads, right? And, and yeah. every single year, and not every game is shown on TV. And I I would question why that is. And and my answer, I'm guessing the answer is that there's just a lot of games that people wouldn't be interested in watching. You know, they don't think there's the audience there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Although I I do like Lee's New Jersey. I think that uh, (laughs) the Lee Leopards, I think it's brilliant. And I think that having a Jaguar instead of a a (laughs) Leopard is fantastic. And look, any time you can get an animal's ass on the back of a jersey, you've got to do it, right? Oh, it should always happen. I mean, if I don't see a Leeds Rhinos kit with a massive Rhinos backside on it, I will be annoyed. Exactly, exactly. I, I think we should, really all, should all focus on mascots' asses from now on. <laughs> I mean, would you buy a Penrith jersey with one on? 100%. 100%. Um, but... But, yeah, so there's a lot of games that we have every weekend in Super League where it's not on TV and it's not broadcast. And to me, that is a that is money that's just been burned. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be playing those games. I'm not saying we should cut down on the number of teams in Super League. I'm just saying that for the application of how much money we get in this sport through Sky, we're obviously not spending it the right way. If Sky only yeah. want part of the competition rather than the whole competition every weekend. Yeah, exactly. And obviously now we've got Channel 4 involved, but that's only on 10 games a year. Obviously now they've got the World Cup Challenge as well, which mm-hmm. is a big boost for the sport. Um, <laughs> having you know the two best teams on, it, on both sides of the world competing against each other on free-to-air television i think is huge um but how many people are going to tune in at 7 a.m 
for that game is another question. But like, it's just not enough games are on telly. And I've said like someone said um, about you know like the captain challenge rule and bringing it in, and then someone was like, well, they can't because not all games are televised. And I went, yeah, but there's no video refs in them televised games, so why are we using video refs anyway? If that's mm. the excuse that they're not going to introduce that rule in, so yeah. it's like so, so it's just it's it's a strange scenario for England at the minute, but especially the fact that when you look at, you know, we obviously started off with Paris Saint Germain and them sort of teams. Like, I don't feel like we've kicked on from the development aspects around Europe, which is what Super League was made to do. Yeah. Um, and as the, like uh, my mates went to Bulgaria, and apparently um, rugby league's on the free to air TV. Apparently, apparently they love it over there. So like you've got you've got areas of the of Europe that want to play it, like your Bulgarias, your Serbias, especially. Like their national teams um, doing quite well, and and obviously they've got the Balkan Super League going on. But like it, there could have been more going on around Europe that we could have helped had the decisions made by Super League not been so widespread that there's no money. <laughs> so. Yeah, as I look at so, it's so disappointing as rugby league fans. We just, you know, you think like if, if we just had some decent administrators, we'd be going all right. And it just, we don't get them. We don't get them. I mean, you only have to look at the catastrophe with Toronto to see yeah. just how bad our administration is. We literally had everything at the tips of our fingerprint, at the tips of our fingers, mm-hmm. and we just let it go to dust. And now the American market's near enough in tatters again. And we literally had it there. We had them. We had Ottawa coming in. Yeah. It was like we we had millions of people that could be watching our game. And we've decided, no, no, we want more money for our own clubs because they were going to take some of the salary cap and not pay it their own way, their own broadcasting. I was like, what? Yeah, what? it's just crazy. And and look, to think that, you know, you had private backers of a club in Toronto, which is a giant market, a giant sports market, and they said, we want a team. And the Rugby Football League said, that's cool. You'll have to go through the, all of the levels to get to it. Uh. And they said, not a problem. And they did that. And they had more people at their home games than a lot of Super League clubs have. And then yeah. they get Super League. And it it seems like there wasn't there was a lot of things that hadn't been put in place for them and to prepare for them from the Rugby Football League and Super League, which was a travesty in itself. And then COVID hits. And they just toss them aside. They're like, no, nah, you're gone. Sorry. We're not even going to deal with you. We're going to cut you out the whole competition. Um, we're not going to try and save you. We're not going to bring you back down the track. They just got rid of them and all of that work and stuff. And and then they'll turn around and they'll say, well, why can't we get people to invest in new private teams? And they'll just put it to Toronto, you know? It's just mental. And it's like... Like, but it's like you were saying with like Penrith in the 60s and like there wasn't much sort of structure and fundamentals there until like the 80s and then the development and youth development sort of kicked in and now they've got one of the biggest biggest rugby league areas 
in Western Sydney that you know that would there will ever be for producing talent. And it's like we stuck Toronto there. We got we finally got them in Super League. They had three years of developing a youth system. Three years, that's all they had, and they had kids training with them. They had all that sort of stuff. And then you had and then you had fans on Twitter as like and also chairman that were voting for them saying well they haven't got a youth system in place that, that's sustainable it's like you get, you've had three years yeah you've exactly. had 150 and yours isn't sustainable yeah <laughs> got teams it, like it, with the wakefield and castleford and featherston and all them that like they, they just vote for like themselves and that's all they ever think about even even warrington voted against them and that's the most disappointing thing. There was only Saints, Leeds and Catalan out of the clubs that voted in favour of them. I don't know why the clubs had a vote in the first place. And it's like, it's so disappointing to see teams like Wigan not vote for better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's... Look, I think some of that has to do with the fact that all these Super League clubs, for the most part, are just trying to survive year on year. And that's the yeah. problem that there's there's no plan, there's no business exactly. plan in place, and that's what you hope that IMG brings in is that with their financial commitment to the game that they can actually, when some of these really poor decisions are about to go down, they can step in and say, wait a minute, we're tipping in this much money into the game, we're not going to allow you to do that because it's a financially poor decision. We want to go in this direction, and that people listen to them. That's why I think it's good that IMG are involved with no sort of money being pumped into their base, basically taking a percentage mm. of whatever they make. So they've got to make it work. Yeah. So they, like the moment the RFL start going, oh, no, 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 or the club start going, no, 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 they'll just go, all right, then see you later. Off you go. Yeah. Because they've got no interest in keeping it to make more money. Because they're not going to get any money out of it, so so they have to listen, and I think that's that's the beauty of this deal, is they've got no other option because the RFL, Super League, and the clubs know just how bad of a state rugby league is now in, especially with the last TV deal that just put it in black and white. Look, you're not worth anything to us. It, yeah, and, and look, I think that. If it keeps going in the same direction, there's going to be one of two things that will happen. I think either number one, you would see the Rugby Football Union, who still has money yeah. itself. It's the clubs that don't have the yeah, money. Yeah. The Rugby F Football Union goes to the owners, excuse me, of a couple of Super League clubs and says, we'll buy you out. Yeah. And they, they take the IP of those clubs. And I know that Rugby League fans might not watch them, but they would persist with those clubs in those areas and they would they would make it work for rugby union well number two that the nro comes in and yeah, says yeah. if we do this we want to own everything and yeah. they they buy it. look now look there's going to be some clubs that they're going to say well you can't own us you can't own us and the nro just says oh fine you know Keep going along. We'll wait until you devalued even further, you know. Yeah. Or you can take the offer. We're going to, and that's. I think that that's 
it's either those two situations or rugby league in the UK pulls itself together and actually starts to try and build something. And I hope that that's what happens. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to see the NRL, you know, own its Super League clubs because the only thing the NRL is going to want to do is feed it all in back into the NRL. Yeah, exactly. They're not really going to care about English rugby league. I mean, you, you just have to see with the amount of money that's pumped into the international game. <laughs> they only ever look after themselves. Yeah, and look, that's yeah. and that's they to be fair to them. That's, that's their, their job. job. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the the NRL's job is to propagate and fund rugby league in Australia and Australian territories, you know. And I think some people sometimes forget that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I feel like that that's what Super League think they have to do, but the NRL are in a much stronger position to do that. Whereas Super yeah. League isn't. Super League needs the expansion. It needs the growth. And yes. Yeah. So I, I just, I just really hope it works. <laughs> Look, if 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 a, if the New South Wales Rugby League, which used to be the the top comp in yeah, Australia, yeah. if they had have not expanded in the early eighties, if they had not decided that, look, we need to expand beyond this suburban competition that we've got if we want to survive into the future. We wouldn't have the Raiders, we wouldn't have the Broncos, we wouldn't have the Knights, we wouldn't have the Storm, we wouldn't have the Cowboys, we wouldn't have the New Zealand Warriors, we wouldn't have the Titans, like, we wouldn't have the Dolphins, we wouldn't have all of these teams. And I just named, what, half the competition just straight away? Um, it's, It's what you've got to do. Now, the crazy thing is you look at where rugby league was in the UK in the early 80s and they've only really added the Catalan Dragons. Well, I mean, you look at next season, next season it's all the teams on the M62 corridor with mm. Catalan Dragons. Like, there's no one else. Yeah. So, like, so, and even last year it was the same, just we had to lose and now we've got Lee. So it's like there's no sort of, and that's again another farce. The fact that they let them go down. So it's again, it's it's like, just it really frustrates me as an English fan. Like there's a lot of English fans that are happy with this because mm. you know they they only have to go down and have a ten minute drive to the game. They're not that bothered. Or but it's what makes it's what makes rugby league because. It grows the game. It doesn't yeah. matter with, it's like you were saying with the development structures. If you just plonk a team with the right funding in an area to set it up, it can be done over time. But the problem is, they don't give it enough time. Yeah. And, but we've been going through five year cycles for the past 30, 40, 50 years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Of constantly changing it, even like when when my dad was playing in like the old second division, and it's like even even that structure was changing, changing constantly. It's like it's like they constantly want to tinker and mess with things, and it finally needs that time to go. Look, this is it. We've got a twelve-year plan with IMG. We're going to give it twelve years. See if we've earned any more money. See if we've um, developed. Because all this World Cup's done is proven that the Heartlands isn't sustainable. Well, it's proven that... Yeah, look, I think it is definitely proven that there's a limit to how much 
rugby league fans and supporters in those areas are, are willing to just pour their money into the game. Like there's that limit. And that, that it's always been that case. There's only so many supporters and so so much money in those areas that you can expect to rely upon. And we now the game's obviously gone beyond that with this World Cup. And so that's when you need to realise that this is where you expand. This is where you go to new areas. This is where you develop new clubs. This is where you look for new, you know, corporate bases, which I, I can't believe that you don't hear people within English Rugby League talk about, like, having, you know, clubs that are situated in big media markets and big yeah. with big corporate bases. They, it never gets talked about. It's really weird. I mean, we've finally moved to Manchester with the RFL, which is good. The RFL's finally relocated to the Etihad. But again, like this World Cup, the Etihad holds, I think, just under 60,000. Surely that's better for the World Cup final than Old Trafford, because at least then you, you only have to sell less tickets to make it look more full, which for me, the World Cup final has to look full, and it's not looking that way with ticket sales. Um, I'd also like to see clubs take a fixture on the road every single club not just magic weekend which will never happen because clubs are too busy with their own sort of money and their own finances they won't be willing to give up a home game um because if we are going to stick to this m62 corridor you've got to take the odd game to obviously magic weekends at newcastle so take a game down to bristol take a game down to uh, cardiff take a game down to London, wherever, take a game to Dublin. You know, if you're really that bothered about Ireland and Scotland being in the international setup, then do something about it. Yeah. Because you've got you've got the whole thing of like that fellow who was tweeting about Wales going or oh, the the biggest next big thing and the next oh. big blockbuster and how 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 many years have they had? How many clubs have died in Wales? <laughs> <laughs> how many clubs are still dying in Wales? Yeah. But it's like, if, if, if there's no club sustainable, take the odd fixture there then. Or, yeah. you know, if, it, if it's that unsustainable, then do something that can that is a short-term fix for them fans that you've got. I don't know. It's just that there's, there's a lot of stuff that, obviously, we've got the Cornwall team in the lower divisions now. But how sustainable is that going to be? there's lots of question marks with a lot of clubs I mean you've got (laughs) when Cornwall got admitted last year you had uh, a lot of Featherstone fans and um, a lot of a lot of them sort of areas going oh well I'm I'm not going Cornwall away it's it's an eight hour eight hour trip down I was like well make a weekend of it yeah do something If, if you really love your club that much you will try at least rather than just moaning and complaining. Like, what about the home fans that are going to be there? Do they not deserve to see Rugby League? All they think of is their own away trip, and the away trip is, like, 100 fans maximum in them leagues. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like when the the Redcliffe Dolphins were admitted into the NRL for this season. And it was like they haven't settled on if they're going to call themselves Redcliffe or Brisbane. Um, And... I, I, I would say on the podcast, it, it, I, I can give you my opinion, but this isn't a club that's been made for me, so it doesn't matter what I think, you know. 
Um, it's, and I think that there's that that mentality sometimes in rugby league where it's like, okay, we want to have an expansion club. Great. How's it how's it going to be good for me? And it's like, yeah. well, it's it's not going to be good for you, but it's going to be great for the people that have that new club in that area that we don't ha- currently have a club. Um, and and people miss that sometimes, you know. People used to say about the Melbourne Storm, even, and they would be winning premierships while they were doing it. <laughs> oh, why have we got a team in Melbourne? Oh, it's just a waste of time. What You know, they don't even get people to games and stuff like that. And not too far down the track. I mean, they're the first of all... Well, they're, they're they're one of the most watched sporting teams in Australia. They're <laughs> one of the their their uh, sponsorship deals are huge, and their crowds are pretty damn good as well these days. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, there's some very high profile people would say oh, the storm. Uh, just I'm talking about up until about six years ago. Oh, why we got the storm? Why we got the storm? It's ridiculous. They said the same thing about their. Um, New Zealand Warriors for a long, yeah, long time. Yeah, yeah. And like the the thing people don't realise is that New, the New Zealand Warriors and the TV deal they do with Sky over in New Zealand, yeah, it more than covers their salary cup. I think it it it's like twice or three times what yeah. they bring in that we spend on the salary cup for the Warriors. So business wise, it is a no brainer, right? Hey. Don't don't, we, don't mention that to English fans. <laughs> oh, it's it's so frustrating when you've got a like you can show somebody black and white figures that say this team brings in more to the game than we spend on it, and they will still go. I don't know why we have them though. It's like well, this is we'll this is away. this is the thing with Derek Beaumont, you know, the the, the world famous Lee Leopards chairman who mm-hmm. chats absolute. Out his ass, out his leopard's ass, Jaguar's ass. Um, <laughs> about <laughs> he talk, he talks about Catalan and Toulouse, and he did. He constantly goes on. Well, what do they bring to the game? They they've got their own TV deal. That only that only helps them. And it's like, well, yeah, because they get every game heard on TV. Every home game's heard for them on on their own national TV on being yeah. sports, and it's like. That's their money. And it's like, well, why do they get our dispensation? I was like, well, because they have to have a little bit to also top it up because it's not that big of a TV deal that can cover everything. And they don't sort of get that. They see it as sort of them taking money off themselves rather than seeing it as what it is. And that's that's bringing more money in because over the years, like it's it's just hard to get it into like their heads because they just see figures going into the bank accounts, chairmans yeah. like that. And yeah, and the thing so is too outspoken. That, yeah, but like I've always had the mentality that the bigger say the North Queensland Cowboys are, the better it is for my club. The bigger that the Melbourne Storm are, the better it is for my club, because. Exactly. It's it's that thing that the the rising tide rises raises all ships, you know. Yeah. I, I think I said that right. Um, Ish. but it, it, I got close. I got close. You yeah, got to. Yeah, I'm Australian. I'm not cultured. Yeah, you, um, you don't speak English. <laughs> listen, a lot of you lot don't speak English very well either. You know. <laughs> Mate, we're worse than you guys. As far as I know, you, don't, you English isn't all vowels. 
Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, we miss out words. It's all. <laughs> um, Old sentences sometimes. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so you want you want everyone in your competition to be strong because if everyone's strong in your competition, then obviously your club is strong as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, some people just don't get that. You know, some people they see a struggling club and they're like, oh, that's great, they're struggling. That's one less competitor. It's like. That's not your competition. That's your partner yeah. in this business. Your competition is video games. It's going to the cinema. It's, you know, what's on TV. It's what's on yeah. Netflix. It's what's on. That's the competitors. Um, not even mentioning other sports. Uh, when, when you've got a fellow club that is not strong, that's a business partner of yours that you should hope gets stronger. And yeah. that something that is just missing in a lot of these rugby league administrators heads yeah there was a big thing as well in australia weren't there i think was it during like the mid noughties where they were trying to be and trying to compete with afl and um they were sort of trying to trying to sort of they were focusing too much on what the afl was doing and what they were doing themselves i think it was the mid noughties was it 90s sort of I remember it reading was... about it a lot of that was media stuff. It was more media yeah. noise. Like, and, and it never really made yeah. much sense because there was, two there's not. Games completely. Yeah, exactly. And they're like not, they. They're not competitors. They're, you know. They're, they're just, yeah. The it's, same market. Exactly. It's like, uh, it's like saying, well, we can. Look, on some level, you do compete for sponsorship deals yeah, because yeah, there's yeah, only yeah. so much money that's there. And it's the same with TV yeah. deals and stuff like that. But the supporter bases and the, the player bases and stuff like that, I, I don't think they cannibalise each other. And I think, I think that that's the thing. And I, I think that a, a young AFL athlete is not ever really going to pick rugby league unless they were going to pick rugby league and vice versa. Um, and, I, and I think that a lot of it was driven by the media at the time and a lot of hysteria and a lot of clickbait stuff, which... You know, yeah, yeah. Sells, sells advertising space and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it all plays out and it's like it didn't really happen that way. You know, it didn't sort of pan out where there was this giant war between two codes of of football. It was just they both did their own thing and they got on with it and they both, they're both fine, you know. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, it's, it's one of them things that the English game has to look at and go, Right, we've got our product rather than focusing. They focus a lot on rugby union and yeah. two completely different sports. And a lot of the administrators yeah. are still focused on, well, how, how can we compete with them? Just don't compete. Just obviously you're competing for sponsorships, like you say, but just sort of drive what's good about our game and the differences between them and drive that in your marketing. Because all yeah. they tend to say is like, all they tend to do is like, whenever it's marketing, is sort of shit on rugby union and yeah. sort of go oh yeah we're better we're more athletic uh they're, they're just fat people running about or you know that sort of uh narrative so to say rather than going right well let's not compare that let's actually showcase what our sport actually is yeah and, and that's what they should focus on whereas they, they just don't at the minute no they don't and you know if you just Build your own sport. And and I think one of the things that gets lost sometimes is, like, you will see people that will say, rugby league's the greatest game in the world. 
and he'll say, well, you know what we should do? Have a team in Birmingham. And they'll go, oh, we can't have a team in Birmingham. That's crazy. What are you talking about? And he's be like, well, don't you go on about how it's a working class game and everyone will love it. And they're like, oh, that's, but that's a soccer town. You're crazy. It's like, well, either you think it's the greatest game in the world and everyone will play it when you're done. <laughs> like, it's, you can't have it both ways, you know? It's just unreal. It's like, you've got teams like Newcastle Thunder, like uh, like the Midlands Hurricanes, as they're called now, really pushing their marketing around their areas. You see it a lot with London Broncos as well, you know, the amount of youth products that's coming from London is mm. unreal. I mean, you have uh, two in the England squad right now off the top of my head with Kai Pierce paul and Mike McMeekin, the two Cockney lads. You've got Louis McCarthy Scarsbrook at Saints. You've got players, you've got like Dan Sargentson and stuff like that, but you've got players coming from them areas that would probably never be at the level they are had it not been for London Broncos mm-hmm. and the Harlequins and, and they sort of, they don't see that sort of thing and it's like, oh you know, we should we should instead we should we should you know st- stick another team in in between uh in between Lancashire and Yorkshire and then let let's let's do that instead and just shut down the borders and play it amongst us and showcase what we've got now and it's like but what we've got now isn't the best of what we can be yeah so how can we showcase that off to the world when you know it's not obviously the England side is doing that now but. How many of our best players have been to the NRL and played the comeback like your George Williams is? And how many of them are currently in the NRL with likes of Herbie Farmworth, Dom Young, uh, Elliot Whitehead? All them are, and Tom Burgess, obviously, who are like our top tier athletes. Mm-hmm. Like, you need, in my opinion, like especially with the English game, you need to showcase that side of it as well. Um, and develop from areas that aren't just develop develop players that aren't just in Lancashire, Yorkshire. Then let them spread the wings. Let them go to Australia. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, a lot of things with a lot of English clubs that they want to keep the talent, which then doesn't necessarily develop them to the best of the capabilities for the international stages. Um, yeah. Which, which I'd, I'd quite like to see a lot of our younger athletes go over to the NRL. Um, there's, a, there's a few good ones at Saints. Obviously, Jack Wellesby, who is a phenomenal athlete. I don't know if you've seen him much at the World Cup, but he is going to be some talent for like the, the ages. And I just hope that, I hope that he does like two years in the NRL just to be over there, see it, show what he can do, and then return if he wants to but I'd, I'd like a lot of the english athletes to do that yeah i think that <clears throat> we've seen some of the the young guys that have done that um farnworth is an interesting one because like i think i think the thing that people miss sometimes is that like if you're a good rugby league athlete and you go into a junior system, say you go into the Panthers junior system, and and all you are is a good athlete, you're not standing out, you know, because they're all good athletes once you get up. And so you're going to have to do something extra. You're going to have to develop your – you're going to have to develop – first of all, you're going to have to prove that you're a safe player because no coach is going to 
you know, push you through the grades. If you you can do some great things, but you stuff up as well, that's a yeah. problem. Not going to go very far. So you've got to work on your fundamentals and then you've got to, you know, have something extra that you can do. And that's how people make it into first grade. You know, they they can do something pretty damn good, uh, you know, amongst their peers that makes them stand out. Um, but when we've seen those English players come over, then they're, they're mostly the better athletes when they've been younger. And there's been some pretty good success stories out of it. And we're seeing it happen more and more. So um, it, it's a good sign, you know. It's it's good to see that some of the good young athletes in England are saying instead of being instead of their their goal being that I want to be the best player in my town, they're just saying I want to be the best player I can be overall. And the, how do I do that? I go to where the best players are developed. And I think you see the results out of it are fantastic, and it's great for the English game. Yeah, yeah, and and what will develop, I think, England in England especially, is we need that international game to be successful and to grow the sport, which mm-hmm. a lot of, which there hasn't been a lot of focus on over the past, you know, however long. I don't think the international calendar's really been great, and I feel like that is where we need to sort of focus on, right, we need to sort of sort this out, have a Pacific Cup, a Europeans Cup, have um, a Four Nations, Tri-Nation series, the Ashes series, and sort of get a full um, calendar, but also have, like I was saying, with the English players going over to Australia to develop, having teams like France, um, teams that are developing, like, like the USA, you know, all them sort of nations go over to Australia and play the likes of Papua New Guinea, play the likes of that aren't too much of a step up. Yeah. But like France especially need to play them top tier teams a lot more. Um, but the likes of USA having them do a tour down over down under and the likes of like Greece where there's a lot of um Australian players from that Greece team playing. Uh, in Australia, obviously, and having sort of tournaments where you can use the eligibility laws to your favour, and having that the an international calendar built round. Right, there's that many players in Australia. Let's do that team versus that team. There's that many team, that many players in England. Right, well, we can sort of do that. We've got domestic comps in Italy, France, um, Greece. Hopefully, we'll set up one now. It's legalised and like obviously Serbia, the Balkan Super League, you've got all them, and sort of having the competitions where they're playing to a similar standard, and then the teams that are already set up to be better, like your, like obviously your, um, your French, they then go and take on the higher opposition to improve, because, I, I mean, that French team this year was a real disappointment for me. Uh, yeah. I kind of knew it would happen, because I know the sort of players that were picked, so I kind of knew they wouldn't do well, but I thought they might have done a bit better than they did. Yeah, France has been disappointing for a while, and um, it's hard to say because they have had to fight back from nothing, and and so just having yeah. France around is fantastic. And look, Catalan's yeah. an outstanding success on what, however you want to measure it, but. Um, I think that 
the best thing we could do in France, and it should be done in the, the lead up, is help them work on their junior development systems, help yeah. them work on their talent identification and drawing the best French athletes into rugby league because I think that that's one area where they may be struggling a little bit. Um, they look when they know how to play footy. They 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 know how to play footy as much as anybody else in the world, and I mean rugby league. Um, yeah, yeah. But they just they need help refining what they're doing, I believe. And on top of that, they need help in terms of you know ha- having more professional clubs. And that was the thing about Toulouse. Yeah, you had this team that was ready to make that step up. They make that step up. And then we make them step straight back down again. Yeah. Um, I think that they're a strong enough club that they'll be able to handle it. Yeah. But you know, you don't. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like you you say that you need to win this competition to be a Super League club, and then they yeah. do that. Yeah. Then you basically strip that club of all their on-field assets. Yeah. They have to go and build a team in a couple of months' time when it, well when the market's over, player market's over, they struggle and then they have to lose all their on-field assets again yeah. and in a couple of months' time have to put together another team to play in the championship. Like, it's not a good system and it, we shouldn't have done that to Toulouse or any team that goes up or down in the, in the promotion relegation because it's just, it's devastating. Look, can you imagine if you went to the Panthers right now and said you need to get rid of all your players and sign whoever's left over before the NRL season starts, they'd come last. They'd be dead last. You know, but But, that's what you do in Super League with the promotion of relegation. It's crazy. It's it's like it was, well, like I said a few months ago, and it's like when we had 14 teams in Super League, it was like two teams went down, two teams went up. Mm -hmm. And could you imagine if the NRL did that this year? There'd have been no Queens and Cowboys. Yep. Because they finished second bottom, and then they go and finish what third in the comp was it? Yeah. And it's yeah, like, yeah. come on, they were in the semi-finals near enough. Well, obviously, yeah. And it's like, come on, like th- this is this is how you build. This is how you you transition. This is how you that that security can help. But a lot of English sides just don't want that. They just don't want that. They just, yeah, just like- happy coasting. Well, you look at you look at the worst team in the NRL this year was the uh, West Tigers, West right? West Tigers. Okay. Now they spent ten million, uh, close enough to ten million dollars on players this year. They their grant from the NRL was thirteen million dollars, and next year it's going to be, I believe, sixteen million dollars because yeah, it's yeah. going up, right? And that's the worst team in the NRL, like. That's a pretty good position to be in. If that's your worst team, they get handed 16 million bucks to cover a $10 million salary cap and they come last. Like, that's what you should aim for is that's the strength of your worst team. And they're still trying to balance the books. Well, you know, this is the thing. NRL clubs always are underfunded. And you just got to ask them. And they were underfunded when they were getting paid $3 million. And five million dollars, and then ten million dollars, well, and then thirteen yeah. million dollars, and sixteen million dollars isn't really going to cut it either. Let me tell no. you, that's uh, not to mention called. the leagues club that every single club has that makes them how many million profit a year. Yeah, well, it's... It, people should go 
and you look, you don't want to, because you, you, you just won't really care. But I remember there would be people in the UK that would talk about the Panthers and like, oh, they're not financially sustainable. And I'd be like, just go and, go and look. We'll go, yeah, go and look at the Panthers like, you know, their finances just from the Leagues Club and tell me that. And then this is like, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I'm hey, so lucky that my team has that. I went in a, well, 2018, because it was in the new year. And mm-hmm. literally, I was like, my sister was talking about it, how, you know, how amazing it was. And I was mm-hmm. like, what are you on about? And literally, it's step foot in there, there's like, there's like 16 restaurants, there's, there's so there's three bars, and then there was like an outdoor terrace. And I was like, what is this? And then obviously, you've got the pokies, which is what makes all the money, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this place is worth tens of millions of dollars to this group. Yeah. Yeah. Like the group is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, I've said it so much recently on the podcast. I'm so lucky. that That's like my club. Um, and, but they, and as we said earlier in this podcast, it was a very small club when they joined the competition. They were terrible on the field, but they had a vision to build something off the field. They did that over a, a long time. Um, and as, as you say, you walk in there and it, it it's like some sort of alternate reality. It's like, how how is this rugby league? Like, this is... This is rugby league. It's not an NBA-owned team. It's not an NFL club. It's like this is a rugby league club. It's gigantic. It's got all of these training facilities around. It's got all of these restaurants that it owns and stuff. And you know, that stadium as well. Yeah, they're going to have that new stadium that they're going to build, and I think it's twenty twenty-five that'll open. And um, very, very lucky. I don't take any of it for granted. Hey, like any of the stuff that Panthers have done recently. And, and even the off-field stuff, I, I take none of it for granted. I, I feel very lucky that they're my team. But that's it. And, like, um, a lot of Super League clubs won't invest that money into the facilities. And yet, you look at Saints. Saints are one of the, I think, one of two clubs that run at a profit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why is that? Because we've got a state-of-the-art rugby stadium that we can use for weddings and birthday parties, you know, um, club events everything like that we can hire it out you can have everything there and that that makes an income in itself you've then got you could, you've then got the chance to pay that little bit extra for your premium tickets and like it's and a lot of the other clubs don't see it as that they see it as sort of oh we'll, we'll just get by was they don't see it as an investment for the long-term future they see it as a now and like yeah. you said there's no long-term vision in a lot of clubs over here whereas they had that and they've done that. And a lot of clubs have their own league clubs over there. They all have their own facilities that makes them a lot of money. And we don't. <laughs> There's not many clubs that do have that. Yeah. It's so, a, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's a, a different pathway we went down here in Australia with how clubs decided to finance themselves. Some people are critical of it because they see it as, I mean, some, some people look at it and they're just like, oh, they're giant gambling dens and stuff. And it's like, well, don't gamble then, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just go to Yeah, it, look, my entire life I've gone to leagues clubs to eat food for the most part. Yeah. I don't really like playing the poker machines. I find them bloody boring. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, there's 
I, I saw the Panthers used to have a cinema that they owned, um, and it was where the foyer is now. Yeah. And I saw Rocky Four there. I saw Back to the Future there. I, you know, all sorts of cool stuff. I, I remember when I saw Rocky Four. Spoiler alert: Polo Creed dies. He was my wow. favorite person ever. <laughs> and I was like, I was devastated. Twenty minutes into Rocky Four, a little kid devastated because my hero would die. <laughs> I always wanted to be a Polo Creed. So, um, yeah, it's they, it's a great facility, and it's uh. You know, one of the teams that quietly does it is the Canberra Raiders. They own a couple of different clubs in Canberra yeah, and they yeah, own a lot of property. Um, and, and that's why they, you never hear about their finances because they're always fine. So, yeah. I um, think it's impossible to run an NRL club out of money nowadays because they're guaranteed that buffer zone and that profit. So yeah. It's just, and especially now, like, obviously with the Harry Grant interview, saying about players wages and stuff um and then they had that pay deal haven't they announced yesterday didn't really read much into it but like i sort of think um i sort of think he's right because there's a lot of lower paid players in a lot of the squads over there that people don't sort of hear about especially over here they just hear about you know the one million dollar players yeah they don't hear about the ones on seventy thousand dollars and like you saw a squad squad player sort of wages yeah. But, um, I'd also like to hear less of. I think it it'd fall less on deaf ears if it was someone else saying it other than someone on a million dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's. Like, I feel, it's I feel a, it sort of got brushed under the carpet with it being Harry Grant saying it rather than someone on a bit less money. Yeah, it's difficult because um, you know. And I've never heard anybody in real life get angry at a rugby league player earning big money. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's more the media types and the you know yeah, the talk yeah. types. Um, if it were up to me, they'd all be millionaires. By the way, I am pro player when it comes to players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if you're gonna run at someone like Buddy Junior Paulo or Buddy Nelson Solomona, if you're gonna Buddy run into them, you you deserve a bit of <laughs> a bit of coin. Exactly. Exactly. And look, rugby league was first set up for players to to earn as much money as they possibly could. So, like, it's literally the reason why the game exists. So, um, if you're not pro players earning as much money as possible, you've got a bit of a conflict of interest there. But I, I think that, you know, because there's so much money in the Australian game and the figures are so, so high that it's some people when they hear the figures initially will be like, oh, well, that's crazy. How can how can players be earning a million bucks a year? But then when you say, well, they they generate far more than what they're earning, yeah, yeah. they only, they get a percentage of that and you sort of break it down a little bit, it, it then it makes sense. And, and then yeah, people tend to, like yeah, tend to, they tend to calm down about it. I tend to think that what we should have is, um, Look, I think the the highest paid stars in our game, I think that they they deserve to be higher paid players because they're used in marketing and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the area that, and you see this a little bit in the NBA with the way they're handling their salary cap at the moment, is you you get this top top tier of player that earns the highest amount you can earn, and then there's a bit of a gap that yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you get everybody else. 
Um, and I and I think that we need to focus on the everybody else. Yeah, yeah. You know, Especially when um, it comes to them sort of topics. Yeah, yeah. And and as you say, it's difficult when you see one of the top echelon of players talking about money. Um, yeah, yeah. But everything I've seen out of the, the... Most of the demands I've seen from the Rugby League Players Association over here are, are pretty reasonable. The demands I've seen from clubs are pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, the NRL is just in a weird situation because they renegotiated their broadcasting deals as soon as COVID hit for less money. And then they extended that contract when they didn't have to. And so now the players and the clubs are turning around and saying, you signed a really bad deal, which we talked about. Especially with the AFL deal that came out. Exactly. Yeah, it was ridiculous, wasn't it? Was it like 900k or something? 900 mil or something like that? It was ridiculous. uh, Yeah, it was... was, uh, I think it might have been. Cl- I think it. I think it was like one. Their last deal was something like one point two billion, yeah. and the next is closer to two billion. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Might have been one point nine or something. Yeah, and and because the NRL locked in that discount deal, now the NRL is under the pump from the players and the clubs, and I think that they're trying to throw the whatever money they've got left at the players and the clubs to get them to shut up for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, which isn't good for the rest of the game because that money doesn't get that, that money's coming from somewhere, and it's coming from yeah, and it's going to come some grassroots in it at the end of the day. Exactly, yeah. So, um, it's an interesting situation. I I'm waiting for the dust to settle on it a little bit more. Because yeah, yeah. I don't think anything has been finalised yet. But when the dust settles, I'll, I'll look into it a bit more and talk about it a bit more. But, um, like, the the thing about it is that it's a lot of wealthy people right now that are, that are talking about money. And, like, even, even the worst-case scenario for the NRL is everyone's really well paid. So it's a yeah. pretty good situation <laughs> yeah. to be in. It's a great situation. Yeah. Uh, and like, yeah. Well, last topic I want to sort of wrap up is obviously next year the big announcement that the World Club Challenge is back. Mm-hmm. What do you think of it? <laughs> um, I, I'm gonna. I, I'm always honest about this stuff, right? Yeah, and you should even be. When, yeah, even when it upsets people, I not. I didn't think much of it. Like, I, yeah. I don't really care. Um. I, I saw that it will be the first game. It'll be the game that we have leading into round one. Um, I'm glad that the Panthers don't have to deal with all the travel and stuff like that. Yeah. Because I think that it, it ruins pre-seasons. Um, so I'm glad that it won't really ruin their pre-season or anything. Um, I plan on attending the game. Nope. Uh, yeah. So, you know, That'd but, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't really think much of it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I know it's disappointing to people. I I think that they want me to blow up so, over it or something. Mate, but... I I completely understand because I see a lot of the Australian views of you know like it's not worth it in a sort of sense yeah. for you guys yeah. because you and I've mentioned that on the second episode of this. It's like you earn that much money from the NRL. Like the amount of money you learn from this is null and void. Really, it it's not really a massive it's a drop in the ocean for the NRL club. So it's not really a, a big issue 
for them. Yeah. That's why they don't really want to travel because they make more money off off the NRL now. Obviously, back in the day when the when the money was a little bit less, you know, everything would have been everything would have been good. But um, no, now nowadays it's like it's null and void for them. They see it as a trial game, and rightfully so. So yeah, um, like. It's it's interesting. I uh, um it'll be an interesting experience for the St Helens players. I think and it'll the... be I think it'll be more beneficial to Saints definitely. Yeah. Because uh, um not only that we get a preseason game against the Dragons, which is good. We get a preseason game against obviously Penrith, which is like the best of the best. It really gets our players ready for the next sort of season. Um, a lot more than they potentially would have playing, you know, half a witness side or half a Lee side. So I I, I, find, I find that as a much bigger benefit for Saints. Um, the experience for a lot of because with COVID we normally send our um, we normally send our under under 19s to go to Australia on an Australia tour. During COVID, a lot of them obviously couldn't go, so they missed out on the tours. I think they'll take a lot of the extended squad a lot of the young lads to go over and experience that which i think might help uh, in later years for the development because obviously saints and penrith have quite a good um relationship when it comes to the development structures and um, i know every single year when that sort of happens we play penrith mm. and famously beat the nathan cleary and tahoe's generation with mm-hmm. the likes of Danny Richardson, who is probably the only player that you've probably heard of other than Regan Grace from that year. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's a lot of... It'll, it'll be a lot better for a Saints perspective than it will for a Penrith perspective, definitely. I mean, I'm excited because it's, you know, it's my second team in Penrith and my first team in Saints, so I get to see, yeah. get to see them guys face each other. I'm just fuming that I'm in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping to get over, but I can't. <laughs> well, I'd like, I know I'm, I'm hoping to go to the game. I um, I'll probably I'll probably say some terrible things in the lead up to it. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. I like I lie about I don't that. Blame you, to be fair. I I will say some absolutely terrible things. Um, but it's 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 all in good fun and you know, um, but it's it's going to be interesting. I I think that. From a football perspective of it, a pure football perspective of it, um, playing the Panthers leading into round one, probably not going to be good for St. Helens. Um, it, they probably would have rather played them, you know, a few weeks out from the NRL yeah. season. Uh, you you kind of don't want to be... Look, there's NRL clubs that wouldn't want to be facing Penrith when they're ready to play the NRL season. You know, this uh, this Panthers team is, um, it's a it's a bloody good side, and they're they're the on. There's ever been. Well, look, they in terms of the modern game. In, in the modern game, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I t- I take the modern game from when the ten meter rule come in, um, yeah. and th- no team's ever won three straight since the the. 10 meter rule come in um and they're there they've got a chance to do it only a few teams have ever ever been in this situation and the crazy thing about those teams is most of them were 
average age 27, 28, 29 sort of thing. This Panthers yeah. team is a very young team. Oh, and I think that, yeah, it's crazy. And and I think that they know the position they're in and um they don't take it for granted. And you know, I mean the way the the way they won that premiership against the Parramatta Eels was I mean, I was watching it as a Panthers fan thing and this is horrifying what they're doing to the Eels. They they beat the it crap was, out of it. It was relentless. Yeah. That first half, they just kept coming and coming and coming. it was unbelievable. I said to my dad, I went, I was like, these could easily rack up like 40, 50 by the end of the game. And then the second half, they just came out and they, they could coast, really. It was that yeah. first half, it was scary. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a club side uh, just destroy a team like that, you know, um, physically just break them. And especially in a grand final where, you know, both teams had been honed over the course of an entire season to be the two best teams to face off in in that thing. And look, going into the game, it was, you know, the Panthers were heavy favourites, but the Eels had beaten them earlier in the year a couple of times. The only team that had beaten the Panthers twice in the season and, and Penrith just absolutely annihilated them in that first half. And it was, it was over after 35 minutes and you could see them break Parramatta's spirit which was oh yeah it was great it was just a crazy game to watch like it's just standard in it like you have i mean i i said it before it's like clint gufferson and that they're just he's not a big game player and he he just seemed to crumble like his positional sense was it wasn't even on the same pitch like, there was a couple of the grubbers going in, and I was like, where's Clint? And he wasn't anywhere to be seen. And it was like, he's your fullback. He's meant to be the, the best game reader that you've got. Your fullback is supposed to be the most positionally aware player in the game. And he, he was just all over the shop. And I was like, he's a broken man. I was like, so he's he just can't compete. Yeah, I... I... You know, as a, as a Panthers fan, I watched that game and I could not believe it. I, I couldn't believe it was my team. I couldn't believe that that was the performance they saved for the grand final. Um, yeah. It's and, and I've talked about this a lot and you, you'd have heard it. It's this Panthers team keeps ticking boxes. And when there's a question mark that comes up, it's like, yeah, but can they do this? They do it. And it's, okay, well, but can they do this? Okay, they've done that now. And it just keeps going and going. And you've got to wonder where it's going to end up. And, on like, on top of that grand final, they won every single other grand final they could have except one in, in all of the junior grades. There was only one of them they oh, missed that, out on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's crazy. Has that happened in the history of Australia? It had never. No, it hadn't happened. So they, I can't remember what one it was they didn't win. They lost that grand final, but... um, They got there. Yeah, they got there, yeah. They they won every other one of them, and, uh, yeah, that's never happened ever. So um, they've built something that's that's very different to what we've seen really before in the modern game. It's going to be interesting to see where it takes us because... Uh, you know, will they 
will they be able to lose players and just plug someone else in and be fine? Or, and, that, that's you know. the problem with having such a young squad, though, isn't it? And being so good is other clubs will be picking the best of that they can. True. Yeah, so. that's true. And, and look, to a certain extent, that's always happened at Penrith. Um, yeah, if you, yeah. If you look I across the... Yeah, and if like if you look across the NRL, there's, there'd be former Panthers players at pretty much every club, I'd suggest. You know, yeah. Um, so it's something that we're kind of used to being a development club, but um, when on top of that development, you've got the best team in the competition without question, and uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's going to be a really interesting Very. next few years for the Panthers. And like like you were saying, with sort of like watching Penrith and all, it's been like that over here. I know it's a completely different competition. The standard's not as high, but it's been like that watching Saints over the past mm. few years with um, watching our style of play develop from Justin Holbrook, who was very free-flowing attack-minded with Saints, but kind of solid defensively, to the Christian Wolf, who's much more of an NRL coach in sort of, he was very defensive based. Like he plays with that condensed defense that a lot of, like obviously you see a lot with Penrith, the condensed mm. defense and then the sliding defense. Like yeah. English sides have never been good at sliding defense. Mm. Um, but this Saints side over the past couple of years with Christian Wolf has been one of the best with that sliding defense. Obviously, completely different attacks because our attacking structure over in England is not as good. But like even the 2020 Grand Final. Um, World Cup Challenge against Sydney, we was literally a, a Tommy Makinson catch away from potentially winning it. And it was like, it was an unreal, it was the most NRL performance I've seen from a Super League side in a World Cup Challenge with the structure and the way we play. Mm-hmm. And um, and that for me is what, what is sort of thinking that hopefully we continue with that and more the more defensive based structure because I feel like a lot of the... Um, a lot of English teams still don't focus enough on the defence, which hinders the quality of of the sport in general. That and the fact that we can't play the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's interesting. I oh, don't get me wrong. I still think we'll get beat. Like I'm not. I'm not saying like I'm. I'm oh yeah, we'll go over and do a number. I just think we'll. I think we'll compete a bit better than you think we will, mm-hmm. but. Not, you know, I, I, I just think we'll compete a bit better. Okay, I got, I got a question. I got, I got a question for you. So, if St Helens play their very best, right, yeah. And if you think that they'd win at their very best, you can say it, right? But if, if at their very best, what would you expect the scoreline to be? Margin of two or four points, very okay. very close. And who yeah. winning that? Oh, I'd still have to go Penrith. As much as I love Saints, I, I do think that if if the if Saints are playing at the very best and Penrith are playing at the very best, I think four 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 point margin to Penrith. Mm-hmm. Do think it'll be closer than you think. Now, I'm going to be honest, because that's what I do, man, okay? Yeah, yeah, got to be. If St. Helens play at their very best, I, I think Penrith will beat them by 
22 points. Okay. If, if Penrith play at their very best, I think that they will win by 40 plus points. And that I'm just that's just me being honest. I could be completely bloody wrong. So now it could come over next year, win the trophy, take it home, be like, that's what it's like being on a plane. And it, you know, be happy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but that's just my point of view. Yeah, yeah. I do think a lot of it is I feel like this is how like the England performance has been at this World Cup. I feel like a, a lot, including myself, have underestimated England drastically. But yeah. I think I think a lot of that is happening with Saints. By that I mean this is by no means on paper the best Saints team I've ever seen. No way on I don't paper. Think so and I saw some people saying, "Is is this the best St. Helens team ever?" And I I'd listed a bunch. I, you I, might have seen. Yeah, this is a bunch yeah. That would I think would flog this current St. Helens team. I, I I agree with sort of on paper, but I think the way we play and the style of play is that different to a lot of the eras. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you only have to look at England 2008 squad. That squad on paper was potentially one of the best. England squads you'd ever see and it underperformed massively because of the egos and the way the the, the, the sort of camaraderie and everything else was so off piece mm-hmm. and like and like I feel like people underestimate the the um the actual what's it called like like the the camaraderie I suppose the, the team spirit and also the ability in itself I do think we have some very good NRL quality players in our team, but I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I, that 2006 Saints side for me is the best I will ever see, both on paper and style of play. But I think for the way the game's developed, I think this side is has got a lot of untapped potential still. Yeah, I th- look. I think the best club side. I've ever seen, uh, it used to be the 1994 Canberra Raiders and then the Melbourne Storm teams were, and it, like the one, and I can't, I'm not going to pick one year, but it was like they had Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk, Billy Slater, Greg Inglis, like they had the whole bunch of them there. There were about $2 million over the salary cap, granted, but there was still the best. <laughs> Only the a best little bit. Yeah, yeah, $2 million over the cap, that's, you know. But they were, they were the best team I've seen. I think that now it's really hard to go past this Panthers side just because defensively yeah, yeah, yeah. they're definitely the best team I've seen, without question. That that used to be the 96-97 uh, Manly Seagulls. They, they, they took yeah, over from... Yeah, yeah, you've, you've mentioned that a lot. Then, you know, the back-to-back title thing, that's crazy. The first hey, team to... The fact that they won 20... 20- plus games in the past three years. That, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. And it's like, that is more, for me, um, impressive than the actual grand final wins. Yeah, that's insane. That it's been so high tempo, especially after the 2019 season, where it was horrific, <laughs> yeah. wasn't yeah. it? Where it was like, I think, did we finish, did we finish 10th, 12th, something like that? It was something like that, dude. There's a podcast I did during that season. I got so drunk after a game. <laughs> oh yeah, is that the, me and Andrew podcast? Infamous one. 
I don't even remember what I said, but I just know I was not happy. <laughs> it's one of them that you just never listen to again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that that's the only one I've never really listened back to. Um, yeah. But there was that one. But look, that they've they've done so many things since then that it's at some point their achievements are just overwhelming. It's going to be really interesting to see if the because the World Cup is going to have an effect on the squad because so many oh, Panthers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, to see how the hangover of that is and then how they will, because they'll give them a pre, they'll give them a extended break, those World Cup players. Yeah, yeah. They always how they'll come into the preseason and then how they, then, then the grind of the NRL season. It's such a long, difficult season to get through. Um, it's... That's why it's so hard to win back-to-back titles, and they've done that now, and now we'll see how they handle going for three straight. I think one of the things that goes in their favour is just their general mindset. When they lost their first grand final against the Melbourne Storm, and it, it really look, they, they run into... Yeah, you and look, they run into... That. <laughs> I did it. Yeah, it, I, had a, I always do Saints and Penrith to win the grand finals. Yeah, Penrith had such a bad season in 2019. It was something like yeah. 80 to one. So we had yeah. that as a double at 200 to one, and I stuck, <laughs> stuck ten, uh, yeah, tenner on it. So it was like two grand. <laughs> I was livid. <laughs> oh, I can't even. That's terrible. Um, yeah, that's rotten. <laughs> <laughs> I was that, I was that annoyed with him. Like in 2021, yeah. I didn't do the bet. I was like, I can't do this again. And then it came in. I was fuming. That's- <laughs> Well, it's like losing that grand final to the Storm. And look, if you win a, a grand final to Cameron Smith and the Storm, it, yeah, I, fair like, you know, but we didn't even mention them making three grand finals in a row either. That's another thing yeah. that goes. But um, it, like you lose that grand final to the Storm, and you the the players after that that were given time off to sort of get over it. Apparently. The vast majority of them turned up the next day to do gym work, and and they just they got stuck straight into it. Like they didn't miss they didn't miss a uh, a day of training or or gym work or stuff like that. They were just all turned up. Were like, all right, time to get back to work. Shows Um, mentality, that doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And and. You know they're all they're all mates because they grew up together in the in the lower grades and it's their yeah, local yeah. club. And there's just a lot of things that come together that this is a a bit of a this is a different situation. I've never seen a situation like this side, and so it's really cool to see it just from a pure footy perspective of like what is going to happen with this team? How's it going to all pan out? And it just happens to be my team. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean that's one thing. Like <clears throat> when I first started following Penrith, it was because Saints had signed Luke Walsh and Mossy Masoli in 2013. So mm-hmm. I was like, right, well, I need it. I was sort of looking at a team to follow, and then it mm-hmm. turned out we signed them too, and I was like, ah, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll have a look at these Penrith Panthers. So I started doing a bit of research, obviously seeing about the junior development, and then seeing about the, the connection between Saints and Penrith and the young lads going over and stuff, and I was like, all right, okay, seems a decent club. And then Literally, I joined it, and then obviously I knew Ivan Cleary was the coach. So I was buzzing because I'm a big Ivan fan. I mm-hmm. find him, I I loved him at the Warriors, 
because mm-hmm. I've, I've got family in New Zealand, so went over and seen a game over there and he was coaching them. And then uh, Thingy, and uh, I just absolutely adored him. So I was like, oh, it's perfect. And then I think the year after they sacked him, <laughs> and I was like, oh, why am I following this club? <laughs> and it was like, oh, and then it went through like a few years of just mediocrity. And I was like, oh, I might have picked the wrong team here. And then, um, and then, yeah, next thing, they rehired Ivan after the West Tigers shenanigans. So crazy. Like, oh, that was funny, that. I was, I wasn't, I was on the cusp of NRL Twitter at that point. Yeah. And it was just, it was just, it was so alight. <laughs> There's no other word for it. It was carnage on Twitter. I was Before actually I on the, I was on the Gold Coast having a holiday when that happened. We sacked Griffin, and I think we were in like fourth place on the ladder when it happened. Yeah. And I was, and I was like, I, I, I've seen so many weird things happen at the Panthers over my lifetime that I, I just, and, and you know, you keep in mind this is coming out of like Matthew Elliott was our coach for fucking oh. way too long, and plays that we'd let go we sh- shouldn't have let go, and so many crazy things that happened at the club and and so i was just like i just wasn't surprised anymore at that point but look all of that stuff led to what we're seeing now and i guess yeah, it was yeah. worth it really <laughs> yeah definitely i mean it's just you've just got to sit back and go wow absolutely just the team is outstanding and then you look at like that roosters team in the 18 19 and like they went back to back, but I don't even think they compete with this Penrith team at the very best. No, I I think that this oh, look I this Panthers team defensively is ridiculous. What they do every single game, and, and one of the things that doesn't come across on TV is how hard they hit. Like when you attend a game, just just the sound of the hits would, they put I on, and they do have a hit against bloody kick out or someone like that. Jeez, no, and. Like, like they do it for a whole entire 80 minutes. Um, they must be so horrible to play against. And the, but the thing about that that Roosters team is, you look at that Roosters team. They weren't the oldest team in the world, but they're still way older than this Panthers side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's, that's what that's what um, sort of worries me about this England squad at the minute. Mm. Is yeah, it's performing really well. But it is, it is a very old squad, and then it's then the next transa- transition because there's a lot of the big players here won't be playing in 2025. Yeah. So like you, you've got that transition period with the international game as as like the Roosters had when obviously Kronk retired and then all that sort of stuff. And whereas with this Penrith side, you can tell like as long as they keep the core group for however long they've got the next 10 years potentially a lot of them i think that the the uh, the thing that might because that's the that's generally the rule right yeah they need to keep their core together yeah, yeah, yeah. i i think the thing that might be different here and i don't know we'll find out is that with their juniors being so good and oh, their juniors yeah, yeah. All, the juniors have always been good. So you don't not every junior is going to end up being a star. Um, but you look at like last year, we go into the season 
we've got Tail and May and Antago out wide. And it's like they, they were basically unknown players. You know, one of them he was the brother of a player that had been there before. Um, and that's all we knew about talk him. About him the better. Yeah. And but and they hit the ground running. You know, they hit the ground and, and they look like seasoned professionals and they play the first game and like good first up game for these young blokes. And they keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it to the point where we get to the end of the year and they're like two of the featured players in the team. And so I wonder if they lose, like, say, To'o down the track or they lose, you know, whoever, um, Crichton, players like that. Will they bring in players that do a similar job where it's like, Okay, who's this young dude? And oh, he, he keeps on performing every single week. He keeps on performing like a yeah. star. That might be the difference with this team, but you don't. I don't know. We're going to have to find out. But um, if that's the case, then we get like we're going to be talking about this Penrith team for a very long time as one of the teams to beat. But nothing's you can't take anything for granted in in professional sport and. You know, two years from now, we might be saying, man, remember when we thought Penrith were going to be around for a long time and they just won the wooden spoon? Yeah, yeah. Especially the NRL, because every team improves year on year on year. Like, there's no, like, no team can sort of stagnate. So, Mm -hmm. you've got that competition where, right, Penrith, they they might lose, say they lose Crichton next year to a club because of his contract situation and whatever. Who have they got coming through? Who's the next lad coming through? Who can they recruit from somewhere else to to take over and improve? But then that club that's then got Crichton has improved massively on what they've got. So then that's the salary cap working in a perfect sense of you've got smaller teams. Like look at Bill Kickow now. Mm-hmm. Blarmy Kickow. He's then going Canterbury Bulldogs and then that's improved then drastically. And and I feel like that that's the best thing about the NRL system with its sustainability is you've got players moving, but then you've got the next generation coming up. So it's, yeah, just, it, it's just a cycle and it's amazing. You see it yeah, a lot over here with our young lads. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, like Saints had obviously Danny Richardson that we then went, right, you're not good enough defensively, sadly. So we shipped him off and we had another young lad coming through who was even better, who's now our number seven, Lewis Dodd. And look, he, he got injured, but like we've then got like Jack Wellsby, the next young lad coming through, who's now our, he's our um, figurehead of our club now. He, he's he's that good and he's only 21. And it's like that with, with a lot of clubs over here and, and over there especially. And I think that's the beauty of having a good youth system is seeing that next generation come through. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things in the NRL that's really cool is that you never know where the next superstar is going to turn up. Like, our, you know, when the Panthers won in 2003 and, and that 2000 grand, three grand final was is just one of the best ones I've ever seen. It's just two teams went to war. It was fantastic. Um, it, at the end of that 2003 grand final, if you sat someone down and said, you know what, in a couple of years from now, you guys aren't going to be one of the best teams. And the team that wins it all is going to be led by a teenage touch football player that's up on the Gold Coast, but he's actually from New Zealand. And it, it just would sound ridiculous. In two years from now, the best player in the world might could be from anywhere. You know, yeah. it might be some young kid that 
is still in school right now. It, it, it might be some young guy that, for whatever reason, in this off-season, it's just all going to come together for him. You know, you never know. And it, the, the great thing about rugby league is that it throws out stars and it, it, it still throws out um, all-time greats. You know, it, it still throws out the likes of a Tamalolo. It throws out the likes of a, you know, Latrell Mitchell, players that can change everything, that can change the landscape. And and so you never know what's around the corner. Um, you just got to enjoy it while your team is going great. And like I can tell you, I've taken none of what Penrith have done for granted. I have loved every single last minute of it. I feel so lucky. And look, if they won the wooden spoon next year, I would be like, man, I got my back-to-back titles. This is so cool. So um, <laughs> exactly. it's you just got to enjoy it while it lasts. That's the way I'm looking at it. Because they've done so far beyond my expectations. Everything is just a bonus at this point. Yeah, like, like we said, especially after 2019, where it was just the pits. Yeah. <laughs> now, now it's like, boom, off you go. Three years Look, I remember, I remember I sat through there, I think it was... I can't remember if it was 2000 or 2001 where they won the wooden spoon and I I gritted through every single one of those games and I would be so angry and our team was terrible. Like they were a park football team. They were horrible. And then every every so often they would just bring in a young dude and it was like, you know what, this one is pretty good. Oh, this forward, he's doing a little bit. And all of a sudden there were premiers in 2003. It was, yeah. it was crazy. Made no sense. Um. So yeah, it's 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 so it's so much more fun when your team is good. <laughs> yeah, well that that's just it with like English Super League because we've only ever had three, well four, but now three mm. teams that have ever been good. So yeah, mm. it's great for like us, but then you've got the other teams that are like, oh, can can we not have a little bit? And it's like, well, you know, put put some money in and you might do. But then you've then got the thing of they don't want to spend money, so a lot of the younger players. Like, there's a young lad at Wakefield. He's a winger. He's called Lewis Murphy. Saints mm. tried to buy him this year to replace Vegan Grace. And he is, honestly, he's only played a handful of games for Wakefield. And he is, he looked a raw talent. And it's like, he'll be gone from Wakefield in a year or two because they, they just, well, he's out of contract next year, so he'll probably go next year. And it's like, yeah. them teams can't develop the players because the bigger clubs that are more successful just go, oh, well, we'll have it because they haven't got a project in place to go, no, you want to stay here for this project. Look at what we've got, which is what every NRL club can do, apart from West Tigers because they're run by clowns. But, <laughs> but like, that's what every NRL club can do. They can go to a player, look, I know we're not doing well at the minute, but in two, three, four, five years' time, we've got this plan. We'll pay you a fair whack of money, come join us. And, and in Super League, you haven't got that. You've got the three major teams going, come on, you can win a title with us, you can't with them. And then the yeah. clubs haven't got that, haven't got that uh, plan ahead to do it. And and that's where the sustainability comes into it. And yeah. So that a team like Wakefield can have a sustainable, you know, a sustainable business environment that then goes into a sustainable sporting environment. And the thing that, isn't understood is that if Wakefield is a valuable club, then St. Helens are a more valuable club than they are today. You know, if 
if Castleford is a more valuable club, then Wigan is a more valuable club than they are today. And, you know, everybody is better and more valuable and able to spend more money on players and their squads are better. Everyone's better for it. And that needs to be, that's that needs to be the shift in mindset in rugby league in the UK. Yeah, like Wake, Wakefield and Castleford fans have a go at me and Featherston and all that sort of fans have a go at me on Twitter because it's like, I, it seems like I pick out their clubs and it's like, I want them to improve. Mm. That's why I pick them clubs out. I don't want to go to an away game and have a piss on a wall because there's no toilet facilities. I don't want to... I want that club to go, actually, yeah, we are a bit behind on the time. Let's start improving. Let's let's find exterior investment that we can. Because there, exter- there is investment around for rugby league in different areas. We just don't look at the right areas. As in, like, our current teams don't look at the right places to gain investment from it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of clubs that don't make that effort. It's crazy how many pretty good players that Castleford and Wakefield produce between them, and they, they oh, can't hold to them, right? And I don't understand why, like, I've always thought that when it comes to Castleford and Wakefield, they should build a stadium that is, if it's over both sides of their border, then let's get, if that's what needs to happen, then let's make it happen, right? And just share the stadium, have it so that you can change the lighting and stuff like that, there are plenty of stadiums around the world that are shared stadiums. Yeah. There's no reason why these two teams can't give both of their supporter bases a really good first-class facility that they can go and watch games at, and it'd be great. It'd be great for both clubs. Oh. They would both win out of it. They could well, half sure. own the facility. But that's just it. If they both club together and both owned half the stadium, they both get half of the revenue of that brilliant stadium. But what a lot of the fans and what a lot of the owners see is, well, we own our stadium now, so we make all the revenue ourselves from that stadium. But no one's hiring it out. You wouldn't want to go to a wedding at Wakefield's shed ground, but you would want to go to a wedding at a nice state-of-the-art stadium. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, then you then split the income half and half which will then produce you more income because at the minute you're not really getting a, you're not putting them premium prices on your wedding structures your christenings your birthdays you're not putting them premium prices on because the facilities aren't premium because if you get yeah, one ground it, make it a good facility and split it halfway each bang done Smash exactly it. exactly i mean you shouldn't need a you shouldn't need a friggin' tetanus shot to go to a super league game you know <laughs> mate there was a video of like our oval, and I'm not messing. It, it is a dump. I've been I've been past it, but mm-hmm. they had toilets. Yeah. They had, we don't have toilets at Wakefield, and we literally have a wall with a grid. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy, and like why our oval shouldn't be used for NRL games. It's, no. Saying <laughs> that. They have toilets. Yeah. Oh, you can! They've definitely got toilets there. You can smell them from half the yeah. ground. Yeah, <laughs> it's just mental, and that's what that's what I find funny about English rugby league fans' Twitter is it's just people arguing about making the club worse rather yeah. than improving, and making the game worse rather than improving the game. It's and funny. It's... I see people. I see people that will they'll bag Hull FC and they'll say, "Oh, you don't even own your own stadium." And it's like, well, look where their fans get to sit every single year while everyone else has to 
fucking, you know, be out in the rain or they're sitting their ass on a, a wooden seat that's been there for 30 years or, you know, they've got to line up for half an hour just to use the toilet. Yeah. You know, they, I, I'm pretty sure that Hull FC fans are pretty happy to be undercover and, and to have a, a first-class facility to go and play games at. Same with St. Helens fans. You can bag Wigan fans for not owning their stadium either. Yeah. But it's the same thing for them. They're, they're playing at a first-class facility. And that's oh, much yeah, exactly. some of these other places where you look at them and it, 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 you know, it looks like somebody threw parts of stadiums from the 60s together, shook them exactly. up and, and, and you got what you've got, you know. It's like it, a game for stadium scrabble. Yeah, and it's like, it's like that's why it's not marketable for a TV audience. It looks mm-hmm. like a non-league football ground. Yeah. And this yeah. is meant to be our top tier division. Like they're gonna put, they're gonna. There's gonna be neutral fans putting this on and going, "What bloody hell's this? The pitch is yeah. being ripped up to shreds. The the stands are falling apart, and it's like there's not even roofs on some of them. So it's just, it, yeah. It's weird. I always find it's weird when you when you turn a game on sometimes and you can see someone's backyard. <laughs> like it's just very strange, you know. It's like. <laughs> This is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that's literally it, though, isn't it? Like that. That's just how our how our game is run because it's run by people from these areas who protect mm. their own, basically. I mean, Ralph Rimmer, for example. Featherston, former. He was involved with them. He was. Uh, it's all just that sort of area, and that's why the next chairman needs to be someone not involved in rugby league. Just comes in and goes right. This is it. He can be a fan, but he's got to have no involvement with journalism in rugby league. He's got to have no involvement with a club in rugby league. All he can do is, you know, be 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 a neutral person, which is what rugby league in this country needs. It really does, and like I think that's one of the things that these you wonder how these rugby league administrators, um, how they can keep their jobs when they fail year after year, and it's because they grease the re- the wheels, you know. They grease the wheels with the right people. They give the Journalists. right people media access. Yep. Yeah. And so. That's the thing that annoys me. Yeah. And you see it a lot with like even um, a lot of fan like reactions and a lot of fan videos. Like you see a lot of the people get media passes for them clubs, and it's like, well, they're they're gonna, they're going to be less neutral as well so if your fans are even like as as a sort of reactionary video you sort of want that but you you need to sort of have have your journalists in in newspapers especially they Mm. can't be affiliated with clubs like you've got what's his name martin sadler i don't know if you've seen any of his stuff but he literally he will not hear a bad word against ralph rimmer he won't hear a bad word against um you know, Nigel Wood at the way he yeah. ran Bradford. He, he genuinely thinks he's saved Bradford Bulls, and he isn't. He's running it back into the ground like he has everything to do with rugby league. And it's, Did you it's, see that fan forum they had a few months ago? Oh, oh man, that was hilarious. Was that the one where you started having a go at the fans as well? Yeah, they basically said <laughs> it. Basically, they had a fan forum where they didn't want to answer yeah. any questions. It's like, yeah, that's what yeah. it is. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen um, there's, there's a bloke called Andrew Foster, and he's mm-hmm. a Bradford Bulls fan. He's a, he does a bit of journalism, I think. And uh, and he, he was just saying, it's like, 
it's an absolute farce. And he's there trying to hold Martin Sadler up for account. And he's like, well, you know, we saved your club, this, that, and the other. And it's like, he's running it to the ground. And he's not, he's not answering any questions. He doesn't care. And then he has a go at the fan base. It's just, it's boss English rugby league. That's what it is. Because yeah. it, it's comical. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> It's crazy. And and the thing is, too, that you look at the Bradford Bulls, they used to be one of the, you know, premier teams in Super League. And how much value did the game lose when they did go bust? And exactly. the crazy thing is there would be people within Super League that would say, you know what, Bradford weren't bust. It was great for us because that's one less team we've got to compete yeah. with. But everyone is poorer for what happened to the Bradford Bulls. and Because the standards and, dropped. Yeah, it has, and and teams are worthless, and you know it, it's just it's very sad. It 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 gets me sad, but then I get angry about it, and then I get all ranty about it, and then I upset someone because I say something like, "Well, the salary cap should come down by a little bit, make it more sustainable," and then it's like you don't know what you're talking about, blah blah blah. It's no, like to be fair, it's one of them, and it. So if the salary cap does come down, we lose a lot more out of the game. But we've become more sustainable. But yeah. the real, the real focus should be that outside investment because at the minute there's knack all, which is what IMG is coming in to try and shake up. You look at the sponsorships. You only have to look at the England shirt. We've got the same sponsors that we always have. Betfred mm. sponsors every single thing that rugby league does in England. The moment gambling is banned from sponsoring major events, is the moment rugby league goes bust in this country because the amount of sponsorship that Betfred give. Then you've got, um, before this World Cup even started, they were asking for advertisers for the shorts because they didn't have a sponsor. And it's like, mm. and then, and I think, um, and like you have Derek Beaumont, Lee's chairman, his business, AB Sundex, they sponsor every single event. Then you've got the exact same sponsors. There's about five, four, four or five sponsors and that's it. And it has been for the past 10 years. And, and there's, there's that side that needs to be really ramped up and go, we need some outside investment. Yeah, yeah. So, and and th- look, the reason that, that it's so difficult for Super League clubs to get sponsors is because not every game is televised. Yeah. And so exactly. it's they're not getting banged for their buck. And look, if you if you were a sponsor of a club and you wanted to get as much exposure as possible, well, what clubs would you go to? You'd go to the clubs that win the most. Wiggins. Yeah. Yeah, it's like three of them. Saints are yeah, on the yeah. first 13 rounds of fixtures. 13 out of 15. Yeah, and it's just, it's a numbers game, you know? You've got to give them the right numbers back. 15 rounds, something. So if you're a sponsor, you're going to go, right, I'll, I'll go sponsor Lee Leopards. As much as a big brand that is, um, <laughs> you know, you're not. And that's that's the problem. We need... We need to look at getting every game on TV. We need to look at um, finding then the exterior sponsorship that we can. And then we need to look at how the clubs can improve both on and off field, mm-hmm. which which IMG will hopefully shake up. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. Yep. Yeah, so, should we wrap it up then? I feel yeah, like it's yeah. Been a, it's been a great, great podcast and hopefully a great listen for the audience. Uh, for the listeners at home, as Brian Noble likes to say, that's <laughs> another bad thing about this World Cup. Oh, you've no. finally got to, you finally got to hear our bad commentary. Yeah, for the <laughs> listeners at home, oh, every so, time, I'm like, 
Who else is going to listen? says, I think he's not talking to me, hey. <laughs> I think everything else he says the same personally to me, but it, when he says for the listeners at home, it's for the rest of yous. <laughs> Literally, like people are at the game with commentary listening to it on the headphones. It's, oh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's been a great, uh, great podcast. And uh, I'd like to say thank you to you, League Freak. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having so, me on. It's been really yeah. good fun. Got anything to promote? Um, climate change is a hoax. Uh, no. <laughs> um, uh, check out Fergo and the Freak. It's the podcast that I do with Andrew Ferguson. It's uh, we we're putting out at the moment one episode a week just because the the season's winding down. But um, generally we put out two to three episodes a week. So if you like podcasts, have a have a look at that, and then check out my website legfreak.com. And you can see me saying all sorts of absolutely terrible things on Twitter at League Freak No Space. I say terrible things like we should have more people involved in the game, and you yeah. know I want to see oh, the game expand, stuff like that. Yeah, really anti rugby league stuff. stuff. Yeah. 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 Why would we want more eyes on our screens? So it just makes no sense. Just We'd get, get more, more people bums on watching. seats. Get more bums yeah. on seats. Yeah. Sydney away and the more away fans. That'll Look, when I tu- when I tune into a game and I don't see anybody there and I, I point it out and I get p- angry people, you know, point their finger at me, it's like, there's well, there's no one there. Like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I've been your host, Johnny Lee. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnLoo13 or you can follow the podcast at RamblingSaint7. And, yeah, hopefully we get – well, I've got two more episodes coming out next week. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for them. And thanks again, Freaky.